Hell yeah. How, how's it going? It's good, man. I haven't talked to you in like a long time. Yeah, it's been a while. That's why I, uh, that's one of the reasons actually I wanted to come here. How are you doing, man? I'm busy. Good. Generally. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm busy with my own stuff. Like I'm not, uh, I'm not cramming out a bunch of, uh, not cramming out a bunch of video projects and stuff like that. Like I've slowed down on all that, but okay. I have, I have stuff going on in my personal life that I, I probably shouldn't announce yet. Sure. Uh, like it's good news, but like, I'm, I don't know if I'm ready to let the whole world know about it yet. That's fair. <laughs> but, trying to, but trying to organize it all has just been like a, a whirlwind in my brain. Yeah. I'll tell you off camera, but for sure. Yeah. 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 Like I, I didn't even think to bring it up while we were chatting beforehand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it turns out we're, we're both kind of making a bunch of moves and, Doing all sorts of crazy stuff. You're, you've got, uh, I mean, you, so you've got your your medical job or your medical related job. Yes, you've got. You're still Twitch streaming. I am. I've put a bit of a hold on it, mostly because the medical job has taken up more of my professional life, including um, just not standard work hours. Right. So one of the sure, things, yeah. one of the interesting things about uh, medical recruiting in general is that it's a combination of both sales and customer service, and that means if my customers, meaning the team that I employ, my nurses. Um, need me, uh, I have to answer right and to yeah. help them out. Right, you're essentially on call. Yeah, um, you got a call while you're on your way over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally, that's the <laughs> truth. Uh, so, yes, uh, I was streaming for about two and a half years, and I have slowed down a little bit, but I am planning on picking it back up here in the near term future. Um, you did a good show. Like, thank you. You were entertaining to watch. Um, I like I did Twitch streaming for a while, and that is a tough, like that is a tough one. Like, you're right. It's difficult. There's a uh, there's there's a dynamic to being a engaging watch when you're playing Twitch and like there's a bunch of different rules for it. Like you either have to be like crazy good at the game that you're playing, so people are watching you for tips, yep. or you have to be like just insanely entertaining. Uh, but and then your skill at the game doesn't matter anymore, mm -hmm. unless you're a girl, in which case uh, uh, the rules change a little bit, slightly. Slightly, um, and they still, also they still exist, but they are different. They, they are, are different. skewed a little bit. Yeah, and they well, they also come with their share of cons, right? Oh, of course, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, but to be fair, cons that they're probably prepared for if they've been a part of social media ever. That's true. Right. Um, I'm just not entirely certain that maybe people, um, women who try to get into the content creator space in general, unless specifically they work in the sex work industry. Uh, are ready for the level of harassment they're going to receive in that space. Well, I just talked to a sex worker yeah. pretty extensively, yeah. and uh, she seemed like she was pretty well prepared for what it was going to be. I think, I mean, if anything, she might she might disagree with this. I think the only thing that she might not have been prepared for was um, the climate that it's currently in mm -hmm. now. I think if you had jumped in, I think if OnlyFans had come out, let's say, 10 years ago sure let's say, like let's say like maybe even like the prior to 2016 2017 because that seemed to be when there was like a little bit of a culture shift yeah in the world absolutely like people were uh i don't i don't know i want to say that people were a little less uh open to the idea of creating content like that and having it be kind of like well kind of what it is now is like a mainstream thing yes like it is not unusual now to find a link in somebody's bio on their social media and it's leading to not only like the other standard ones where it's like hey here's my facebook twitter and all that stuff but also here's an only fans or a patreon or a fansly or whatever Fan, uh, yeah, yeah adult content there's probably more yeah um 
I don't think like I think if you'd gotten into it back in those at that period of time, I should talk. I should ask this about asked her this. <laughs> like this is there were so many questions that came up after I talked to her, um, but I don't know the the internet is kind of like been the the pioneer for like all those new industries and mm-hmm. all those new ways of creating entertainment or like consuming entertainment. It's just a matter of time before something like this jumped out there. Yeah. I'm honestly, I'm, I'm a little surprised at how long it took. Like, cause I mean, as soon as the internet took off, I figured there would have been, cause there was always, I remember back when I was still a horny teenager, there were always websites for specific models who had gotten like super popular. Yeah. And there was always like the network, like the, he was like, Hey, put in your credit card. You'll get access to like all yes, of these. Yes. And uh, yeah, that's, that thing is like a complete thing of the past. Now it's like the porn producer is like right up in there with record label. Yep. Right up there with modeling agency, right mm-hmm. up there with any like big conglomerate of like executives or leaders in those industries being the ones to kind of like decide who gets to do what. Mm-hmm. And now, and, and as predicted, like social media is the main spot for you to garner any attention for stuff like that. And if you have a following there, you can pretty much do anything. Absolutely. With it. I Whether think... you're responsible with what you do with it is a completely different thing. I don't, not to, not to say that OnlyFans is irresponsible, but yeah. Yeah. Responsibility in general is a topic that we can definitely dive deep into, but I want to address at least um, what you discussed about kind of how there was a culture shift in the mid 2010s about it. And I think that was a confluence of a couple of different things kind of happening simultaneously versus the older style of porn. Um, I think that it was both so we're st- talking porn specifically are we talking I'm just talking, a culture uh, shift yeah, in general well, I'm talking about, uh, well there was a culture shift in general but i am uh, talking about like how like how and why only fans didn't come about earlier i think it was a combination of two things the first is the people who were consuming porn in the early 2000s were still part of that older generation where sex was taboo you don't bring that up in public you don't talk about it um, and i think that started to shift the the, the social um, availability of that conversation in general started to shift in the late 2000s to early 2010s, right around the time that this new generation that actually could use the internet and for more than just making a shitty little HTML site with like oh, um, bad 80s funk playing in the background, it's like Back subscribe here. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, that happened at the same time. That generation began to enter the business space. At the same Fair time. Point, yeah. And so what you end up with is um, a bunch of people who can use the Internet in the novel ways that were presented in the mid 2000s. The ability to um, generate a business yourself without needing uh, some kind of, like you said, kind of mastermind or somebody lets you into the space. It's like, um, yeah, if you have the money, if you have startup money, you can just go. Yep. You, you know, need. You, you what do you need? Five hundred dollars for a for a, a box light, uh, a decent camera, and. I mean, sure. You know that one. Yeah, that's close for that one. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 it's not that expensive now. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not as expensive as you are. We pioneered hey there, it for you, yeah. Fox. <laughs> yeah. Um, but even just to get like you know, I don't want to call it mediocre content, but like passable content out. You know, sure. it's not recorded on a 2008 razor. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, content the only content you see now today probably got filmed on that and it's always the best meme I it's always the low quality shit that ends up doing better absolutely i mean there it is definitely being up it, it's definitely being dominated by the generation that grew up with the internet in their mm-hmm. pocket mm-hmm. and it's like i mean i didn't i didn't have a smartphone until man i want to say that i probably didn't have an actual smartphone until i was in my early 20s mm. early 20s i might have been you're a few years older than me right 
I'm 30. I'm, yeah. I'm going to be 34 in June. Nice. I'll be 31 so, in November. Um, yeah, it took a little while, uh, but also for the majority of my time where the internet was actually getting big, like I was in mm-hmm. the middle of nowhere, so I was on dial-up for a lot longer <laughs> than most people were. Yeah. Um, which kids today will never know. The struggle. The, the horror of that. It was like, you talk about your internet being slow in any regard today is like, you, you can kind of go fuck yourself a little bit, okay? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know like what? I was setting up websites. I was clicking on websites to load up. If like I wanted to load a YouTube video by today's standards, I would have had to set it up the day before and then leave it on all And then night. leave it all night. Yes, exactly. Right. And then uh, your mom picks up the phone to call someone in the morning, cuts the internet off, and then you have to rebuffer the whole thing. Damn it! She interrupted the yeah, and I only get to watch sixty percent of the video. I remember, I remember getting uh, chewed out one time because my uh, I had had the internet on for like such a long period of the day, mm-hmm. and uh, as soon as I got off, my parents started getting some phone calls, <laughs> and they were like, "Hey, yeah, I was trying to like, I guess they were waiting for an important call." Which, fucking tell me that you need me off the internet. That's yeah. all you would have had to do. Yeah. But yeah, like the guy on the other end of the phone, I actually heard him say, I was like, it sounded like you might have had somebody on the internet at the time or something like, because it made that distinct yeah. dial up yes. modem sound. Yes. Yeah. Forever scarred into all of our, you know, collective consciousness <laughs> from 2004. Ew. Yeah, I got, I got yeah. yelled at for that. It was like for using the internet while somebody else wanted to use the phone. Yeah. And now you've got people talking about landline phones like they're some relic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Imagine having to to, to wire, hardwire a phone. My into... company still pushes them. Like really? I work, like I work for a cable company. Yeah, they yeah. Still, we still sell landline phone. I suppose. Like it's, I mean, it's not technically, I mean, it's it's voice over IP still. Yep. It's still, it's still a VoIP phone, but it uses like the classic like landline style. Mm-hmm. It's still a hard line connection to some method of switch or something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I can't, I remember when I was still doing the installs mm-hmm. for all of our services and they were like, oh, you know, bundle it all up, get it all together. It's like, no, people barely wanted TV at the time because uh-huh. streaming was starting to get really big. I mean, this was 10 years ago, so TV was still pretty important when I yes. got started on it. Um, but it was, it was starting to become less of a problem. Uh, the internet was starting to kick off and get really, really good at that. And as predicted, it's gone exactly the direction we thought. So mm-hmm. now instead of cable packages, you've got 13 different streaming services and streaming services are starting to bundle together now, which is, I think is hilarious. Ooh, I actually hadn't seen that. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, Disney Plus is doing like Disney Plus will do Disney, ESPN, Hulu mm-hmm. for some upgrade. Like that's what they're going to upgrade you on. HBO yep. Max is doing the same thing. Like Warner Brothers, like the Discovery Plus and all that stuff. The, yeah. You're going to see bundle deals around that shit too. It's going to get. Uh, no, it makes sense. It's going to get ugly fast. And yeah. everybody's going to be complaining about all these streaming service packages. Be like, this is what we dealt with right here. Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly Literally, what you're talking history about. History repeats itself, right? I've like, been telling people forever, like, hey, this is going to be a thing. It's going to happen. I forgot to put the limiters on. I hope this doesn't cut off our audio. Oh, no. I'm peaking. Oofta. I'm peaking. I know, right? It's <laughs> tragic. I, um, I think that it's really interesting that, you know, these sort of massive conglomerates... Uh, the the mega businesses are starting to reunite again, like, just like just like it was in the TV space, right? Like, oh, one hundred percent, yeah. And uh, Mike, I don't know. I don't want to get too far into 
into a topic that maybe you didn't bring me on for, but I wonder how long it is before the government gets involved calling things like that a monopoly, right? Like, because functionally, what is a monopoly? It's just um, a, a, a single organization working for its own benefits. And how is that very different than two organizations shaking hands behind the scene to work together for their own benefits, right? I think when it comes to individual streaming services, it'll be kind of tough to monopolize those because the streaming services will only be able to like... There, there would have to be a change in the way that they actually get the content to distribute yeah. because they're having to like, like most of the studios or whoever actually owns that content, which is why, you know, I mean, you are seeing a lot of original yes. content coming out. Um, but for the stuff that isn't produced specifically for streaming services, they're going to have some sort of a deal that they have to make yeah. with multiple streaming services to kind of give them exclusivity for this period of time. Yeah. And then a different one for this period of time. Yeah, licensing rights. Yeah. Standard stuff. Yeah. So I think that will hold things up like that for a little while. But as um, as original content based solely specifically for those streaming services gets bigger and bigger, then it'll then you might start to see some shaky stuff there. There's already like a bunch of talks around uh, the Warner Brothers yep. buying up all of that and and making all those mergers. And it's like, oh, how, what what all is this going to do? And HBO has been through the ringer. They've had like 14 owners in the last <laughs> in the last few years. Um, I don't know at what point the government would be able to get involved. Uh, well, in all that, it, it, like until until like it was all original content that was being held up and prices started getting skyrocketed and shit. I was like, I don't know. Like when it, when it steps I, I over the legal line, typically. well, they make a lot of money off of those people too. So I don't know if the government would want to bother getting involved with that because there's a lot of money in those industries and sure. they lobby appropriately. Sure. Well, not, um, maybe not appropriately, but they, they, they know what they're doing. <laughs> that's the big downfall. I think of the system that we set up, right? Because, what you want to be able to say, say uh, yeah, uh, that, that, that we we collectively uh, 250 years ago have set up, um, which was that, uh, you know, the point of an organ of a public organization is to work for the public good um, on behalf of the public to prevent anybody foreign or domestic, even private, from taking advantage of the public um, mm -hmm. in such a, a manner. Monopolies do that, which is why we have laws that stop them and what you want to be able to say what you what I what anybody who is of sound mind and logic and reason wants to be able to say is uh, they would step in at the point where it becomes a problem and they would when they saw it fit to step in uh, and fulfill their their obligation to protect the public um, but as you said I think the problem is uh, lobbying which should have been outlawed almost immediately when it started to happen, um, mostly back in like the 30s. It should have never been um, legal. Yeah, in yeah. Regard. But the fact that it has been able to go on for so long has uh, both sown the seeds of public distrust in the government because they, because they, the public, majority at least in my anecdotal evidence and no, and no data backing it up, um, believe similar to you. <laughs> Good disclaimer. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, believe similar to you. I believe there's a, a significant larger portion of the population who distrusts the government and does not believe that they fulfill that obligation to protect the public like they used to because it is financially incentivized for them not to well when it comes to when it comes to like the entertainment world uh, i don't Ooh. think they're under any obligation to protect the public or anything like that like i don't know if that i think we're dipping into a little bit different territory when it comes to that but like specifically around uh, a lot of like the major companies that provide the the range of services mm -hmm. or products that we actually consume um 
most of the time it might seem it might look like a monopoly but we've actually got multiple different companies that are out there who are doing what i think is actually worse which is an oligopoly <laughs> where they oh, sure. where yeah. they are essentially just agreeing yes, to individually to kind of like keep away from it being an an actual monopoly while operating under the benefits of having one absolutely that's what i was and uh that is like that's probably that that is probably the more pervasive issue but that loophole that they've created that they have found mm -hmm. has uh as far as legal ramifications are concerned is incredibly hard to to do anything about that because all of the involved parties are handshaking behind closed doors and not and in, then say, i don't and, know what you're talking about exactly like, this is just what our prices are we have to stay competitive exactly and that's the um, that's kind of what I was alluding to before, saying, you know, what is the difference between a monopoly, which is just one organization working for its own benefit, and two organizations who shake hands behind a closed door to work together for each other's benefit and their own? You know, no, there's not there's not a difference. Why the words yeah. are so exactly so damn close together? Do you? But like, as far as like the protecting of the public, I think there are certain organizations where that would apply to. But do you free feel, market? Yeah. Do you feel like you went kind of like to? A uh, to that extent of protecting the public or like working on the greater good as kind of like a leftover byproduct of being in the military for as long as you were. Um, no, I think that uh, I think that that is just the textbook definition of a government, right? Yeah. Any public organization is paid for by taxes to work for the public, yeah, like uh, to but, provide. Yeah. Uh, a series of services but you, decided on. But we were specifically talking about private organizations. Yeah. And then you jumped over into like the public sector. Well, I talked about that like because wasn't. we talked about the government getting involved. That's what I mean is um, right. like the reason they would get involved, it would be to protect the market as a free market. Um, which when, as a, which a side effect of that being is that these companies want to agree to those kinds of things. It's kind of tough to prove that. They, well, not only is it tough to prove that they are, but at the same time, where do you draw the line of like disrupting their business by saying like, Hey, mm -hmm. you guys are doing, it looks like you guys are doing this thing. You guys can't do that. Well, and then, um, they, and then they bounce right back saying, like, that's not actually what's happening. Even if they had compelling evidence to prove that that wasn't what was happening. It's like, yeah, that is the, the recognized effect that the general public is seeing. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the point where you cross the line I can only really speak to in the abstract because I'm not a legal expert, right? Sure, um, there, there's I. probably some I would like to imagine and I would assume, um, and I, which I think is a good faith assumption, that there is some legally drawn line where it's like, hey, at this point, you are not doing right by the market. Um, so it, there, the, there was a specific instance that I can comment on almost directly. Mm -hmm. um, I can't, I can't name. Uh, the company that I work for or the companies that were going out there. Mm -hmm. um, so there was Comcast was going to make attempt to buy out Time Warner, specifically Time Warner Cable. Uh, now, those were the two largest cable companies in the country at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, and the government actually did step in and yep. block that. Yep. Uh, specific, again, specifically because that was going to create what they thought was going to be them holding sway over far too much territory and yeah. would essentially create a pseudo monopoly. monopoly. Uh, the company that ended up coming in was actually Charter Communications. They ended up buying Time Warner uh, and that merger went through. They're now known as Spectrum. I think that there were some territory trades because there were other companies that were bought up at that same time. But cable companies buy each other all the time. Yeah. It is super common. 
Um, and so you've got a lot more than just those big three. Like, I mean, I guess big two now. Comcast mm-hmm. and Spectrum are the two big ones that come to mind. You've also got AT&T that is still big up in there. And then satellite yeah. companies as well. There was a point where the government was like, this is, you guys are going to be too big. We, we can't let you do this. Mm-hmm. And I think there was the same level, like, because I'm trying to keep the conversation related to what, where we branched off yeah. of. is like the entertainment world or, um, and so I think there were some talks around, um, kind of the same same area when HBO was getting bought up by a bunch of different places and AT&T and all that stuff. And I think even Disney caught a little bit yep. uh, around uh, picking up... God, I can't remember which one it was that they ended up, that they ended up grabbing. It was recent. It was recent. I can't remember. I'm not familiar. But yeah, yeah the, the government has gotten involved to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if... I don't know if this particular industry is the one where their their efforts should be should be, should focused. be focused on yeah on which is its own people. separate you know yeah. uh discussion i guess i guess that's why i was like a little contentious because i was like well i work for a cable company i don't yeah. want i don't want to pick yeah, yeah. on like the media world i'm trying to make movies and stuff like that. i was like yeah. i don't know if i want to dive and i don't want if i yeah want to shit on my future career path but you are right like the government should certainly do that but at the same time i feel especially yeah. right now <laughs> there's probably other areas that they should there are certainly uh, other areas. Focus their effort. They need to get good at the basic shit before they start trying to get into all this advanced stuff. I think that I would agree with that. In general, um, I can only imagine the the governmental level red tape that you've had to encounter over your over your time. Yeah, getting out of it was uh, the one of the the great freedoms I've experienced. Because you were so Air Force, right? Yeah, I was. Okay, okay. how long were you in? Um, I did seven years active duty and then almost three years uh, reserves and just got out this past January. What did you do for the most part? Like, what was um, your... my, I was a linguist. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. So I did work in that field, which is a, a highly specialized field. And oh, yeah, of course. Outside of the skills that it brought me, I, I would say the main skills that like I brought away from that job were soft skills. Outside of the fact that I speak Arabic now, um, I... Is it just those two languages? Do you have others that you kind of no, that you stacked up on? English and Arabic, and then okay. a, a smattering of I barely understand en- enough Spanish to know it. Know if I'm being made fun of, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> Which, like, I know just enough broken Spanish from working in kitchens for a long time. Those the like the I only ever know. Like, it's the same uh, kind of basic concept with me. I I, I so I, I rock climb pretty frequently it's one of my favorite activities and right next to the gym i go to there's uh, a mexican restaurant here in omaha and uh, i would go there all the time i know all the servers and they started teaching me a little bit which is why i know just enough to know okay. if i'm being made fun of basically i only knew i only i can only recognize spanish if i'm being yelled at yeah that's the only, yeah. that's the yeah. only way i recognize yeah. it. it's like if i did something that pissed them off i'm gonna i'm gonna understand a rough idea what they're going for you like close your eyes at night start breaking out in cold sweats right yeah <laughs> like oh god are you fluent in uh arabic or um, do you, like are you like are you keeping your chops up at all yeah or? i i can speak i can speak slowly um speaking was the part that i am that i would that i would do the least in in the well, you also have role. to learn like an entire new alphabet in order to mm-hmm. read it too so i mean that yep so i would say like so if you show me arabic i can still read it really well if i listen to arabic um as long as it's not some like political discussion uh like a like a high level difficult topic right. to, or with like really specialized vocabulary i can generally take most things away like i can listen to the news in arabic and mm. as long as it's not 
you know, an opinion piece on. And they're not speaking lightning fast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the speed is not really the issue. It's mostly vocab. Um, you, okay. the, like as you use words fewer and fewer times as you see them uh, less and less in your day to day life, uh, they occupy less and less of your memory and you can recall them less easily. Right. Sure. Like, you know, I've seen the word parsimonious about five times in my entire life, heard it out loud twice. And fr- I think that's the first time I've ever heard it. It's a <laughs> it's a, uh, an incredibly specific term meant to mostly it has a connotative kind of feel of um, stingy uh, kind of clo- okay. held close to the chest. Uh, Say it again. Parsimonious. Parsimonious. Yeah. Okay. It's a very good word. I like words. I like language. Being a linguist was fun. That's a fancy word. Yeah. Three dollars. Three But yeah, so I uh, I did that, uh, and what it really taught me the soft skills I think I took away that I that I can use in in my real life and that I have used to, um, in some ways, be successful in some of the spaces I've been successful in, which I imagine we'll get into here in a moment is um, communication. I think it taught me how to communicate effectively. It taught me the empathy, that empathy is incredibly important for that. Um, Communication involves two people. Not only do I have to put words in the right order with the right nonverbals in the right context for my communication to mean what it means in my head, but I have to be able to read if you are interpreting that correctly. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, I think that it taught me communication very well. I think that it taught me critical thinking, like how to break a problem into its parts and examine how to put those parts back together and how they all interact with each other. And that's let me um, succeed in a bunch of different ways, like a sales job when I have no sales experience. Uh, Well, so, I mean, the, the sales kind of thing, I think a lot of that comes down to your level of confidence. And like sure. your portrayal of competence about what about the product that you're selling. Um, the few times that I was in sales, I was trying to sell something that I didn't know anything about and that didn't really work out too well. Uh, if I if you tried to put me into a sales job for the career that I'm currently in, I could probably cl- I could probably kill. Yeah, because I've I've worked for the competitors and I'm also and I've and I'm currently working for who I'm with now. Um, we'll we'll call that a really good segue though because there is a. Like the the main reason that I brought you in was to kind of like talk about like sort of the music business side of things and just kind of like get like a finger on the pulse of the Omaha music scene because like I for anybody who's who's known me for a while I was I was in deep yeah like I was I was in a couple musical projects I was doing concert photography left and right I was doing the interview show yeah and producing all that doing the live performance recordings and all that shit like I was in there hard I was doing consulting. Like everything that I could do to like push the scene, make it better, help promote it, help showcase it, help show people what's going on with it was there. And just as I was getting kind of jaded by all of that, because it is a grind, like any, any level, any capacity working in the music industry is going to be a grind to some degree. Um, I was recording, I think at this point I was actually working more on recording music, um, and then that dropped off. But I met you right around the time where I was kind of starting to get a little bit uh, dissuaded from continuing on in the industry because not because I was like running into other people who were like taking away my hope for it or anything like that. That yeah. wasn't the case. But like every now and then, and I don't want to give you too much of a big head here, but every now <laughs> and then you like run into somebody who is kind of like that, that spark. You're like, oh shit. Okay. Something's happening here. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, yeah, I think Chasing Chance. I think you were v- relatively new at that point in time. I was. Like, I don't. Th- well, no, I think Chasing Chance was in general. Oh, oh okay, sure. Yeah. Like I actually like because I, I remember speaking of like you guys as single. I was actually I actually recorded a live version that of Parker Pulse. did with uh, with the band previously for Pulse. Oh, um, yeah. Or for Not Your Fault. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so I have a I have an acoustic recording of them playing that song in his old band. <laughs> in so, fear and truth, yeah. Yeah. And I I was I was gonna find that name. I'm yeah. so glad that you did though. Now I don't gotcha, now I'll just have to admit that I was about to be embarrassed. No, 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 not at all. Um but yeah, so like right around the cusp of you guys kicking off, uh I was enamored right away. Mm-hmm. Which does not happen a lot for for well, at least not for me. Um there was always like I was always kind of like frustrated with the with God. It's so hard to like say this without being like contentious. It was like because I don't, I don't want to put anybody down. Sure, but like one of my biggest frustrations with the music scene was just like there wasn't the the highest level of effort that I was hoping for. Not yeah. the highest amount of effort. Like I don't want people to be burning themselves at both ends trying to trying to grind it out and get there but like there was a, like a there's a bare minimum of effort that i would expect for somebody getting into a musical project or any creative endeavor for that for that matter sure and uh wanting to put out consistency and quality mm-hmm. and uh for the most part the music side of things people were focusing on that pretty well and it was like we've got some very talented artists out here but as far as like the outreach and the promotion and stuff like that like that was where a lot of people were lacking and um, I'm the first person to say that to their faces too. Like, I'll, like I'll, I will tell you is like if you reach out to me with a band, or or if you do the thing that annoys me the most, where you add me on Facebook or something like that, and immediately send me a page request for a band that you opened up the page for two days ago, and you don't have any fucking thing on it. I'm gonna decline that thing right away. Yeah. Like, cause that's irritating to me. It's like, don't even reveal it until you've actually got something to show me. Yeah. It was like, don't tell me about. It. Like, I don't want to feel like I'm starting here at the ground level hoping that this is going to take off because nine out of 10 times that project goes nowhere. And like, I don't want to be following 14 different pages. Their name changes 16 different times and going through all that. But like, as soon as I came across you guys, it was great because you guys were already putting together, like not, you guys weren't just putting together a show where you're just going to go up on stage and you were going to play your music and you're going to fuck off. Mm -hmm. Like you had, you had like coordinated backing tracks yeah. up and ready to go. You guys had most of your music recorded at that point, I believe. That's correct. I think you'd already like before your guys' first, this is your first show. Yep. And um, you guys sold the house out. We did. Which was wildly impressive. Like, and then you had a, you had a coordinated uh, opening for the show, mm-hmm. which I got the pleasure of filming and recording for you, which was a blast. It was such know. a sick, it was such a sick video. Uh, you so did such good. a great job Thank with you. it, man. Yeah. I had a really good time editing that. That was a really good time. Most people who watch that don't believe me when I tell them that it was your guys' first show. Mm-hmm. Like they, they find it they, like it's completely unknown to them. It was like, they've got this put together already for their very first show. Yeah. I was like, yeah. And they opened that show when they shouldn't have. <laughs> it was like, which you we've talked about. We have you already talked acknowledged it. that that was kind of like, oh fuck, this is kind of just how it had to go. Yeah, uh, yes. The, the the I mean, the, the circumstances around that show were very. Um, they led me into a place where I was like, wow, I I can't believe that I'm having to 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 try to convince people to be on this show because they won't. Nobody believed the pitch 
the pitch was, hey, guys, we want to put together a show. Um, we can sell 150 tickets. I'm 100% certain we can sell 150 tickets. And there will be 150 people. In to be fair, coming from a band who hasn't played any shows yet, that does sound kind of wild. No, you're right. And maybe you... I just underestimated how wild it was because I was so I had such conviction because I knew yeah. um, I knew we could. And so I ended up having to call in favors and I called uh, three bands up that that said yes. Mm-hmm. And thank God for them. Right. Uh, and I basically promised them. I was like, look, um, it's going to be a 25, 25, 25, 25 split, regardless of who sells what tickets. So we're, we're, I'm basically handing them a huge portion of uh, of our profit from you, it. You handed them the ma- almost the majority of yours. Yeah. Really. Um, which, which is no offense to them. But yeah, there was a clear effort made. That yeah, was, that you guys had dominated. Yeah, well, the the cap regard. of the venue was two twenty, and we sold it out, like you said. And I think our final number was one hundred sixty four, um, which, which isn't in any way meant to put them down. And I literally would not have been able to put the show together without them. And yeah. I'm eternally yeah. grateful to them for that. It was enormous, and to this day, I still support. If you're out there right now, Garst, the Rewind, and Blandford, they those guys came through. And mm-hmm. I still play shows with some of those guys. I sign them whenever I can because I trust them, and, and they came through for me. And giving back to them is all I can do. Um, but the point is, I think, I think the crowd did more to disappoint me than any of the bands did. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like the, the they got Omaha. Yeah, which, which, which is a, I hate that that phrase exists, but it is pertinent. It is, um, and and we talked. One of the one of the things that you know you, you kind of mentioned this that 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 we believe very strongly in is that we want to do this professionally. I have wanted to do music professionally for a long time. Mm-hmm. I decided about twelve years ago, I think, um, that it, it was something that I wanted to pursue as my long term career, and I started thinking critically about it, and particularly when I got out of the military because I got out of the military to do music mm-hmm. um, the week before the pandemic hit, which is the worst time to get out of the, the worst time, the steady paying job worst to time. do any kind of public, uh, you know, sell any kind of public thing at were there all. Any per- were there any positives to it? Thinking back, like to you th- getting like, out of the military, but prior to the pandemic, I think like the timing around trying to start up a band, trying to get a musical business going during that period of time. I would say that um, it really tested what I was about to mention that we all decided very early on, I was which say, was... If you're going to get thrown to the wolves, you got thrown to the fucking wolves. We did. Because um, when was that first show? That was February. I believe the day was 15th, but it was the middle of February 2020. 2020. And I didn't tell the guys this. Sorry, guys. Here's where it comes out. Um, but <laughs> I so I got out March 5th, technically March 4th, 2020. Um, and I was waiting to see how that show turned out to actually tell my the only person that I had told this, which was if the show flops, I'm going to reenlist. Um I had oh, wow. told my so supervisor you were that dead on. I but like but the show yeah but the show didn't flop like you said no. it absolutely it was went exactly the opposite. Yeah, direction. and so I commit. So I commit, um, and I was like, all right, this is it. Um, I'm gonna do it. I'm with a band of like-minded individuals who all agree that we're gonna do this professionally, mm. and so we asked ourselves some pretty simple questions, which are. If we're going to do it professionally, then it needs to be a profession. What is a profession but a business? 
what is a business but revenue versus expenses, right? Mm -hmm. How do bands generate revenue? What is the value they provide the customers, right? And what are the answers to those questions right off? Sure. Like um, for, I, for your particular situations, yeah. like, where, In, like how did you how did you fill the gaps to those questions? Sure. Uh, the get the the generalized products that a musician provides and today. specifically uh, today. Yeah, like, yeah. Because this is a very different from what most of the old most of the old dogs in the in the music industry days are going to be comparing to now. Um, I can think you can boil. There are going to be uh, kind of secondary and tertiary things, but I think you boil it down to kind of sure. three main products. You have um, the produced art of your music, right? This is the, it needs to come out sounding and evoke an emotion that I'm looking for. It needs mm -hmm. to convey the emotions that we feel as musicians, right? You have the produced product in terms of what goes out on streaming services, what you release in as a media content, basically. Um, you have an entertainment product, which is a live show, which is a combination of that plus a live show, mm -hmm. which has entire separate um, value provided to people, right? If people wanted to listen to music in the, you know, perfect music and not have anything additional added, they would stay home in their underwear where they're comfortable and they would listen right. in high quality without the, the, the dude who hasn't showered in four days next to them spilling beer on them, right? And then like... A, a, a mosher coming flying in and hitting them in the face with their elbow. It's too real. You know? Uh, yeah, yeah. Too real. If it sounds really, uh, <laughs> really pointed, it's because we've all been there. If you've been in the, in the, you know, at, at lots of live shows. And so that's the second product. And the third product is merch. Um, you're providing right. art in the form of, of merchandise. And those are your three main revenue streams. Uh, as I don't think that's necessarily in like the exact order as far as how no. pertinent they are to your profit margins though no not Unfo at all. unfortunately yeah i would it, you, it, then this is where you start talking about um you know what you were talking about a second ago where the old heads are used to you know this is most of your product in terms of your profit margin you're yeah, you're, you're, you're selling records yeah you're, you're selling, selling records tapes, nowadays with streaming that is it has completely changed mm -hmm. um most of your products most of your revenue is going to be in the other two products actually you're can you gonna, ballpark how many actual physical copies of your music you've actually sold you're talking about in chasing chance specifically yeah we have printed no cds and sold no cds okay we have printed okay. no vinyls so you guys you guys bailed out on that completely completely we saw it as a and i actually was instrumental in that because my the band that i was in before chasing chance it's called mm -hmm. the hype um we invested in 100 physical cds to sell right. i still have 93 of them in my house Ooh. um in a box i can't i can't fully uh, disagree or agree with that mentality because yeah the digital products have always been there but I am still a little bit of an old head to where I do like a piece of physical media but I think if you were a band now trying to sell physical media it would have to be kind of like an elevated version of the product where there is yeah. some level of exclusivity to yes. owning that uh, like you can't it cannot be the exact same product that you would get on digital or there'd be like you you almost have to create FOMO yeah. when, when you're putting together physical media which is something that I've recommended but I don't know if anybody's actually taken that into account I was like throw a song on there that isn't going on digital or something like that uh, yeah or or like, create an experience around it right where yeah. if you show up to our um, I think vinyls would be sweet yeah because like, that's I mean even if they never put it into a record player like it's at least a collector's item that like you make very clear he's like hey this is limited mm -hmm. 
we only did this once. Yep. <laughs> We're not doing this again. A hundred percent. There's some, there's an exclusive track on, on this vinyl that you can't get anywhere else. So they might even purchase a record player just to hear that shit. Yep. Like, the, like the, put the, the B-sides. Sense of, yeah. Yeah. It was like, Hey, this is a, this is a deeper cut into what we do. Mm-hmm. Like, and then the people who are like dead, dead set fans can, can be the ones to indulge in that. Yep. But you'd see, you, I think it would almost be smarter to set up pre-orders for something like that though. Yeah. That way you don't end up with 93 of them sitting in your house or something like that. But yeah, I think that in terms of physical media, you just have to kind of look at what type of media your audience consumes. Right. And right. if you, because you have a pretty young audience. Uh, yeah, in general. Stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, we're pop punk, so that's the, kind of the target demographic is yeah. either people like you and me who you've got you've got the internet generation on there though. They're yeah. they're listening to your music on your phone. Like, I mean, that level of honesty is great. Yeah. Like, I think I think there's a lot of bands that kind of, uh, they they fill their own heads with. I don't want to call them delusions of grandeur, but like they, to a certain extent, that's exactly what it is. Agreed. It was like you might have you might be giving yourself false expectations by thinking that a bunch of people are going to want to pick up your CD because that was the way it was when you grew up. Hundred percent. Like I agree, but also at the same time, when I was a teenager, I was we were already picking up MP3s, mm-hmm. and the only reason that I was grabbing CDs was because I borrowed it from a friend so I could burn it into my iTunes and then yep. burn that onto an MP3 player. Yep. Or you had an old car that didn't have um you had a, a specific age of car that either didn't have the cassette player for you to plug the the aux the cable adapter. in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the um, but you also didn't have a USB or any kind of Bluetooth setup because you didn't have a brand new car. I, for example, had a 1998 Nissan Altima which only had a CD player. And I didn't have the CD adapter, so I needed CDs. I had a Ford Focus for a long time, yep. and it uh, it was a 2000 Focus, but it was not fancy. There was no CD player in that thing, and oh. so I had that tape deck adapter in there yep. for ages. Yep. And it got to a point where that thing broke every other <laughs> fucking day. <laughs> every other day, yeah. I couldn't do anything with it. Um, but no, I, I completely agree, and I think that uh, I, about specifically um, the idea that I don't necessarily think that it's based on some delusion. I think that maybe bands are I think it's just, misled hope. Yeah, I think like. that they're just not thinking about it um, like a business, right? Like the first thing you do is you look at your audience and say, what, what does my audience want, right? Yeah. If I'm in the business of selling sandwiches and I have 100 customers who want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and that's the thing that they want and I start up a sandwich shop at, but I decide to sell a different type of sandwiches yeah. I don't get to be angry that these customers who explicitly told me that the, the their method of consuming sandwich is peanut butter and jelly sure. that they didn't come into my store and buy my product right um, and I think that that kind of irresponsible level of decision making is kind of where these bands get themselves into uh, the, the the issue that you're running into. It's a very dreamy industry. It is. Like it's a very dream filled industry. So you, you, you go in there with a lot of aspirations for wanting to do things in the most artistically creative way that you can, or just because you have the freedom to do it however you want to. Uh-huh. And when you have that level of freedom, just about everything sounds like a good idea. Yeah. And especially especially in a world of, of musicians where you grew up going to shows and being like, Oh crap, they've got CDs. This is like, I mean, I remember going to merch tables and be like, okay, what do they have? Yeah. Okay. This is what I need. Sure. But I think even at that point of the era, it was still the same thing where they weren't paying attention to what their audience wanted. And they had those things mainly because they felt like they were obligated to. Yes. And then that just kind of took off and 
the complete opposite direction and end up most of the time being their their downfall because if you can't make money and you're just struggling the entire time it really takes the really takes the fun out of it yeah and i think that um there's kind of a whole confluence of things i want to address regarding that the first is i would say um the easiest way in my opinion to draw a parallel between somebody you know thinking oh i grew up with this so i must uh i must have to do it right like this is what bands do is to do the same thing with a topic we addressed a, a, a bit ago internet companies you know, we talked about dial-up and that being burned into our system. If I were starting an internet company now, would I include dial-up as a service oh, yeah. that I would? Yeah, that's like, a, yeah, that is a that is the that is a great point. That yeah. is exactly the way not to look at it. Yeah, it's like you um, can't you can't start from scratch for yeah for you each can, industry, but you can look at it and and pull maybe abstract topics, but you can't say you know just because they did this twenty years ago, that's still a good way of doing business. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to look at the current market and look yeah. at your competitors and 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 then then figure out a way to provide a product that competes. Um, I don't even know if looking at your competitors in the music industry would be a great way to look at it though. Do you, I mean like, cause yeah, there's, sometimes. you are, com- you are competing in a live space to a certain degree, because yeah. if people are going to somebody else's show at the same time, they're not going to go to yours, even if it's inside like the same time window, like, mm-hmm. you know, like I've been burnt out by going to a concert once in a week and be like, I ain't going to another one for a while. Yeah. Social interaction. Right. Right. Yeah. But like if your competitor is doing really well with CD, like it kind of goes back to what you're saying. It's like if your competitor is doing really well selling CDs, but like your audience is less into that, like you're still going to run into the same problem. I agree, which is why you look at what a competitors are doing in the abstract rather than in the discrete right. um, instance of choice. Right. What you do is you say, why is that competitor selling a lot of CDs? The answer is their target demographic will buy them. And what they have done is they have just provided the product that, their target demographic did so you abstract that and you say okay what that band is doing that successful band is doing my competitor is doing is they're looking at their audience and providing an art that they are okay with selling right like they're not sacrificing their art um but they are molding the form of that art to fit that audience and some people believe that to be selling out and I think that that only really steps into the kind of connotative uh, definition of that phrase when you start sacrificing the art to such a degree that you no longer feel that it's either your art or that it is art at all mm-hmm. right like it's more like I'm creating this this is the audience's art does that make sense yeah when you, when an artist begins to feel that way then I would say that you know, you can say that they've sold out. Um, but yeah, that, that's what I think you do is you create things in the abstract. And so when you're looking at competitors, what you do is you say, why um, does Breaking Benjamin get played on the radio? But my band that I recorded through one mic that I hung from a ceiling in a garage with reverb and did no mixing and no mastering on and did not play to a click. Why isn't that played on the radio? Well, the answer isn't because your art is bad necessarily it could be its vessel blows but, but yeah like <laughs> like i'm not gonna eat a a sand a peanut butter and jelly sandwich if what you did was you put peanut butter and jelly between bread and then mushed it into a ball broken into three pieces and threw it at me on the plate right like <laughs> that that product it was not delivered to me with the same quality that another restaurant would do right and it bring it brings me to another food-based metaphor for this industry <laughs> that i've go. used that i've used a lot like because the same thing can be said for bands when they're trying to garner attention for their social media mm. is where 
uh, or specifically they're trying to bring me, bring me into a show and yeah. I go to their social media and I've got nothing to see or sure. I can't find anything about them. And it's like in that situation, they've invited me to a sandwich shop where I have no menu. <laughs> I don't know what's being served. Yep. And I have absolutely no idea if that sandwich is going to be a crusty ball of, <laughs> of peanut butter and jelly just thrown at me or if it's going to be like a properly served sandwich with the crust on because I'm not a child. Yeah. Like, like no, I'm sorry. That yeah. was way too mean. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I just, uh, I crust just, cutters in chat just I like just, in dude, shambles. I just pissed off so many people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to get back to this ultimatum that you kind of like set for yourself for that first show. Sure. Like, do you, do you feel like that ultimate, like, did you set that ultimatum more because you felt like if the show didn't perform well, it was going to be a reflection on your efforts or because like, and thinking that if the show, if the show didn't go well, then maybe the career wasn't for you or was it something that you were planning on revisiting anyway, but you wanted to reenlist and thinking maybe the time wasn't right. I think that I made my decision based on, two things um the first is something that i've danced around at the, at the beginning um a couple times but that i'll just state outright which is one really important thing when chasing chance was getting started and one of the reasons that we uh took so long to publish and to um and to you know come up with a show and and why we were able to deliver such a high quality product at the beginning was when i sat down with the guys um we all said would we want the same thing this is not a hobby. This is not something I'm doing to have fun, although I do enjoy it. Um, this is something that I want to be able to quit my job and make enough money to make this my career, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to provide all the same, to live the lifestyle I want to live and still pay my bills. And this is my job, a profession, a professional, right? That was kind of the, the thing we sat down and did. And it was a combination of many things. First, um, I came from, I have... I grew up very poor. Um, I have had a lot of struggle in my childhood and I have been both incredibly lucky and also worked very hard and tried to make good decisions in my own best interest to keep myself from returning to those things. And so keeping that option open was just a method of uh, giving myself a backup plan in case number two. One of the big reasons that I set that ultimatum for myself was I wanted to see if the guys were more than just talk. Because for a year, because so we, they knew about this, like no, they didn't. I was gonna say it was like because otherwise, like, but when you, but you I didn't, didn't want to let you didn't want that in their head ahead yes, of time. Exactly, I wanted to see because you the a organic result. Yes, because okay. a professional, if they were really gonna be professionals, right, then I wouldn't need to do that. Yeah, the circumstances wouldn't have mattered. The circumstances wouldn't have mattered. They would have tried regardless of whether that ultimatum was there, and they performed. Yeah, they came through, and it was not just me. And hit, and this entire time, although um, I have much, I have been a, a large part of the networking, public facing side of, you know, chasing chance and any of the products or projects I've been in. Um, it's mostly been because the guys think I'm good at it, and so they just relegate most of the responsibility to me there. Yeah. But they hold their weight in other arenas, right? Like we have a member of the band who handles the legal because we are incorporated, the legal and financial side. We've got somebody who handles. Um, equipment acquisition, making sure we get good deals, setting up endorsement like stuff, like those kinds of talks. Uh, we have a guy who works on the live show. Like we treat it like a business. Um, and does I, it frustrate you when you see other artists that aren't doing it that way? Or do you kind of think it was like, this just might not be the way they want to do it? Or I think that that depends on the goal that that artist has. And I think that 
one well, of the things well, you say you don't know uh, like like do you do you kind of fill in like the goals for them in your head or yeah and the 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 basic kind of mental calculus i'm deciding on and i choose based on kind of the circumstances that i see their actions they take are mm -hmm. is this a band that is really only in it for a hobby that is kind of masquerading as wanting to be, to be a profession or is this a band that wants it to be a profession right is this kind of a tale untold or a chasing chance or like people who I, I see I bring those two bands up specifically because I know all of the members of those bands and know that they are professionals there are others in the Omaha scene tons of them I could name a, a dozen literally right now and um you know the impulsive Evandale save the hero Arson City obviously there are tons of others that are really in it for the profession but uh to answer your question about whether it frustrates me I would say it only frustrates me in the former, right? Okay. Um, and it also kind of makes me sad. I don't bear my frustration around those people. I I it I feel it all the time uh, because unfortunately it's tough for me to make that disconnect. So I'm holding them all up to the same standard. Yeah. Like because for me it's like well if you guys do well here other bands can too. Mm -hmm. It's like you're setting an example. Mm -hmm. And and so like that was one of the things that I did when I was on when I was consulting bands which. Uh, I, I loved doing like, yeah, I was getting paid to help them out and kind of like point them in these directions and like also like help record certain stuff. I was taking photos for them. It was, it was a nice package deal while I was doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like that was the most frustrating thing for me is that there was always there was always at least one of them that wasn't uh, wanting to put forth that level of effort. Yeah. If not more. Yeah. Um, but uh, normally that one person who didn't want to put towards that effort would like completely demoralize everybody else and then it would turn into a hobby band that was a very fragile hobby band and uh, even if I ran into a band that was a hobby band like say I wasn't consulting them they weren't trying to do any of that stuff I was still holding them up to that same standard because even if you're a hobby band like in a, in a creative world and I, like again I, I admit already that this is not healthy thinking yeah okay um, even in a in a creative world like I feel like if you're not trying your best to make like the best product that you can and again this is subjective mm -hmm. this is like maybe the best looking photo to me is not the best looking photo to a photographer who hasn't been doing it as long or has been doing it longer or even if the even if the photo quality isn't as good even if the song quality isn't as good as somebody else's it's like did you put your best effort into that and if the answer is anything other than an other than irrevocable yes that pisses me off <laughs> It's like so. I would rather put out, I would rather put out nothing than put out something that was going to make the people involved with it look bad. Yes, that was that was my issue. That was the issue around uh, the documentary series that you were also uh, in a in a way involved, like heavily involved in. Yeah, yeah. That was the same thing for uh, a, a few songs that I've worked on, like the songs that I'm working on now. Like like I've obsessed over them for a long time because it's like I can't stomach putting out something that I did not that I can't say is like hey I'm 100% confident that I put 100% of myself into this yeah like it's associated with you yeah so yeah. I have a, a very so, similar and I and I feel like I, I can't disconnect that impulse when I see somebody else putting out something mm -hmm. like I had it like the most recent example that I have the, the last show that I went to I'm not going to say their name I'm not going to say when it was I don't want anybody to know who this band is because it'll make me feel like shit I wanted to beat the fuck out of their bass player so much 
that it was it was it was driving me crazy because the entire show so the front man was okay. Yeah. He was putting he was putting an effort. I feel like I feel like he kind of I feel like his tone of voice in between shows was kind of like this where he's just like like when he was singing he was like really up there. Yeah. I don't know if he was trying to save his voice or not, but but he was a great singer. Did a good job there. Uh, guitar players were, were right up in there, but their bass, uh, the drummer, I couldn't couldn't really see the drummer, but uh, you never can. That's our that's our struggle. Yeah, it is eternally <laughs> the struggle. Hide, we're hiding behind a bunch of yep, shit. Yep. Um, but the bass player was facing his amplifier for a lot of the time, uh, which anybody knows is going to create feedback. Yep. It's going to make it sound fucking horrible. Yep. And that's exactly what it was doing. And whenever he was facing the crowd, he was always looking down. And he's always like trying, it was like he's trying to hide himself. Now, stage fright is one thing. Yeah. But you're going to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> if you're turned and facing the fucking amp, you're going to hear that shit. And I heard one of the band, I swear I heard one of the band members say, turn the fuck around at one point in yeah. one of the songs. Jeez, because man. Because they would have been hearing that through their monitors too, because yeah. you were, it was like you were getting like that, that low rumble, horrible yep, yep, yep. Uh, bass amp feedback every now and then. And I'm like, and this was the unhealthy part. I immediately jumped into this person doesn't care about their product. Mm -hmm. When in reality they could have just been new, like shy, new, or, new yeah. or they weren't they weren't sure what they were at. But that was immediately my thinking at that point. And unfortunately, still nobody else is related to that <laughs> impulse with me. I was hoping you're going to be on board, but no, I I, but I I know you're too nice to. Oh, I don't you're know. About too that. nice to be that much of a dick to. I just somebody. I mostly just. Um, what I'll say is this. Uh, I wish that it weren't so frowned upon to be able to have a candid conversation with those people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like creative criticism or like constructive, constructive yeah. criticism or anything of the like is, is yeah. Like yeah. it's almost like people take it as insulting now. Yeah. And there are ways to go about it that are rude. You know, I, yeah, I, I, the, I think the impulsive of, way to do it. Like I, like yeah, the, perhaps the, like beating the, first, the fuck out of him. You the know, first, like the first thing yeah. that comes to my mind. Yeah, of course that's not going to be a great way to approach it. But. but yeah, I, I just wish it weren't so, um, so frowned upon. You know, because, uh, because when you can give, when you can have that candid conversation with somebody, it brings the entire music scene up, right? And when the entire music scene is performing high quality music. People want to go to shows. People will start going to shows even if they don't buy tickets. They'll yeah. show up because they know that they're getting a high quality product even if they show up to the waiting room on a, on a Wednesday night, right? I can't um, tell you how many bands that I helped consult who had at least one band member, one string player get pissed off at me for telling them that their strings were gross and they needed to change they them. They needed to like, like, I, yeah. even, even something like that, I was like, that's just objectively a bad idea. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. not even a subjective thing. It's not a tone choice. It sounds like shit. Yeah. And it doesn't work as good. Well, it's the same as, uh, you know, in drums, I, any drummer can hear any audience member doesn't know why, but there's a difference between a drummer who tunes their set yes. and a drummer that doesn't. Right. Yes. Like, yes, there um, is. and it, I'm not saying that you have to tune your kit to the to the key of the song each yeah, time you don't need to do like you don't need to do that, that but, but if it is flat sounding yeah it, if it sounds like you're hitting a, a plastic bag you you it doesn't c contribute to the song yeah. right and and you get um, low you get your toms tuned to a low enough resonant frequency like y you can hide a lot yeah but if it's a flat one it's gonna it's, it's not gonna, gonna, turn gonna out stick good. out yeah and i i think that a lot of the um I think that 
not being able to have candid conversations like that is kind of omnipresent across society as a whole, but particularly in any kind of artistic yeah. industry, um, yeah. you see it because you see it fall apart because of two main reasons. Um, the first, and I think more prevalent one, uh, is that people take it as a personal attack rather than as um, constructive professional criticism. And here's what it boils down to: again, <laughs> compare it to any other industry, right? If you're at Subway. If you're a Subway sandwich artist, I love that we're keeping yeah. it towards sandwiches. Well, it's it's just a simple one to no to, no yeah you know. I get you I'm on board um, I'm on board. If if you and I are both working at Subway right and you've been a sandwich sandwich artist is their title sure I'm not here to detract from that. Uh, um, if you've been a sandwich <laughs> but you artist, did for a while, uh, and and I come in and I'm new to the industry and I put together a fucking a a three chunk peanut butter and jelly Subway sandwich. And you go, dude, don't do it that way, <laughs> right? Like, you put the bread down, you don't ball it up, and you put things in this order, and it is a presentable product that we want to sell. That the customer doesn't get pissed at us like that one just did, right? You know? Yeah. Like, if you say that, you're not looked at as an asshole if you do that like that, right? If you take somebody aside and you go, look, man, that's like... You I guess it depends on who you tell. That's true. Right. Some people will take anything as a personal attack, but in general, right, like, that would be... Just you doing the right thing is to a coworker, and it's not viewed that way. Um, I think part, part, partially because music is so tied to our person because it's emotional because it's any art. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. like that came from inside. I, I think the the culture sh switch that we were talking or culture shift that we were talking about earlier had a lot to do with this too, because yeah. like people talk about like the prevalence of identity politics. Oh and yeah, how like your opinion is attached to who you are. It's like that's that should not be the case. I don't think you should be married to any of your ideas. I completely agree. Like, um, it's, it's really the same thing. And people talk like some people who are the worst at taking any constructive criticism or sometimes some of the people who are talking about identity politics and how terrible they're. I was like, dude, you're doing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. It's just not political. Yeah. It's the same problem. Yeah. It's, it's the exact same problem. And I think that's a shame, but I also think that there is a second half of it which is that um, for a long time now, kind of passively, communication has not been a skill that... Everything good? Yeah. Yeah. I, oh. <laughs> yeah, you, you mean like a face, I was like, oh, damn, is the... Yeah, I thought, I, I thought it was like, I was moving this in, and it was like, I thought it was like pinching into the screen or something. Oh, like no, I was like, oh, that's going to make a bunch of noise. Um, so I think that for nigh on a generation, at least now, um, kind of passively, communication has not been a skill that has been... Um, at least overtly valued, but I think that it's a really important one. And um, I think the second half of the reason, um, although maybe not the more prevalent half, uh, at least on the surface, uh, of the reason that, that, that those conversations fall apart is that people fail to communicate it in a way that is empathetic enough towards the recipient that the recipient's willing to accept it. Because there's a difference between saying, you know, me going up to a drummer after a show and saying, hey man, you had a killer set. Like genuinely, I think you played fantastic. Um, I, I don't know if it was uh, the sound guy. I don't think it was because I've worked with this guy before, but like your t set didn't sound like it was tuned. Do you do that before every show? Because like I think it would add a ton to the presentation of you guys' music in general. And I think it'd make you really step above the rest uh, mm -hmm. of, of the competition in terms of being a drummer. Um, or you could go up to somebody and say, dude, why'd your drums sound like shit? Yeah. Right. And 
they are both going to take that as a personal attack. Those, which, are, those seem like two extremes. Yeah, um, but that's just the easiest way to highlight that there is yeah. a difference in how we present those. I think those things. Uh, right? the, well, the unfortunate thing is, I think with when you've got a crowd dynamic. And if people aren't 100% pleased with the show and somebody does call somebody out like that, like mm -hmm. they probably are going to use option B. Oh. oh, yeah. Like they're probably going to use like the simple, straightforward one because they don't want to have an honest conversation with them. They're disappointed because they feel like their experience was sullied because this drummer didn't have their kit tuned or this guitar player's guitar was out of tune or something like that. Sure. Um, I remember uh, I remember a band that was going up after my band had played uh, as the middle of winter. It was at Dr. Jack's Drinkery. Mm -hmm. So you like there was very limited space that so you yeah. could actually load in your gear. Yeah, and there were Clearly you have to play indoors because it's the winter. Yeah. yeah. Well, this band in particular, they didn't. They decided that they didn't want to contribute to the gear pile, which I can understand that impulse, but not in the dead of winter because you're going to be leaving all. They had left all their stuff in the vehicle the entire time. So wood does not like yeah. going from extreme cold to Ex any co room temperature else. heat. Yeah. And uh, I told the like. Like we were at the beginning of the show, we were loading in, they were there and like, they weren't loading in. I'm like, Hey, you guys, you guys can load in. Like, we'll mm -hmm. like, we'll, we'll make space, whatever we got to do. And they didn't want to do it. And I told them, I was like, your guitars are going to be fucked if you leave them in that cold for, for too long. And they're like, Oh, it's fine. We came here from Lincoln. They've been in there the whole time. It's all right. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. And, and they didn't listen to me. And sure enough, when they went up on stage, they were having to tune like dramatically in, in between, between songs, in between each song. Yep. And they were like, they came off stage complaining about it. And one of them had a Floyd Rose on his, on his guitar, which was wreaking absolute ha Like he's no. not the easiest things to tune. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, like I wasn't trying to be an asshole or anything mm -hmm. like that. Like I'm not like a gearhead who is being like, oh no, your, your wood must be treated like fine craftsmanship yeah. and revered for its entire life. Yeah. No, I was just saying, I was like, dude, this is fucking science. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, and I feel like if I had been more of a dick about it though, that, that, that stuff might like, sometimes it takes a stern voice to actually get sure. the point across, especially if this is something that they've ingrained in as a habit. Sure. Um, so I feel like I there is a place, there is a place for both, but it is very dependent on the situation. Yeah. What I'd say is, is this, there's a way to, to address something directly and sternly while also not being with just yep. Dan that set sucked you know like <laughs> I think the the issue with I, that I wish isn't people that thought about it like that yeah I wish there's or, or rather I, I think that the problem with Dan that set sucked isn't that it's direct it's that it's rude and what you can be is both um cordial and direct mm -hmm. you can say hey guys um I am not trying to say I told you so but the reason you had to tune between every single song was what I told you before Mm -hmm. You left your wood out in the cold. I, I can and now see your small. soul leave your body and now there a little bit. Small. <laughs> yeah. Look, man, it's the weather, all right? You know, when it's cold, sometimes it gets... Anyway, I'm a grower, not a shower. Uh, the point is, you left your <laughs> instruments out in the in the cold, and now suddenly, you know, they're having issues with tuning. And I tried to warn you against that, and so I, you know... I didn't talk to him after the set. Yeah. Like, I... like Because I, I had said what I said, and yeah. I didn't want to be rude. Yeah. Like, I was like, I can't push any farther at that point like they yeah they, they had to learn the hard way i guess that like is the way some people have to learn that's kind of how it came down to which i also think might be a reason some people just don't say anything it's true it was like they feel like it was like you you guys might need to learn this but that that runs into a that runs into a tricky situation too because i'm trying to think of a situation where this was like 
I uh, I talked about this on an episode earlier on. It was one of my audio only episodes. But um, I don't want to be in a situation where people are ever afraid to give me criticism because they feel like it's going to dissuade me from wanting to continue. Yeah. Um, and so rather than give any honest feedback, like there's just a bunch of dishonesty yep. around the situation and people are just, are people are just cheering me on because they're afraid to like dull my creativity or something like sure. that. Like that issue I think is a lot more pervasive than people want to admit. Oh, hundred percent. Um, there's there's specific instances that I have seen in uh, in the film world that I'm trying to break into right now. There's a lot of instances of it in the music industry that I'm in right now. Um, but I think the the most the most difficult place where it shows up, and I'm, and this is what my question is going to be, is when it's it's showing up inside your own project. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to music, I mean, I, like I I know that you. I, I, like I know that you're, uh, I know that you've been kind of like entrenched in chasing chance at this point, and you probably don't want to call anybody out for anything right now. But has that been an issue inside of your own project? Where like do you do you feel like that exists in any of your own projects? To where like some people like band members have been afraid to be like that level of honest with each other, or have has your project been really open about stuff like that? I think that um, a lot of the opening of those doors comes down to the relationship you have with those people, right? A lot yeah. of people, you know, may not feel that it's their place to speak to that, especially if they don't know you very well. Like, it, actually, you kind of alluded to it a bit by saying, you know, I didn't feel like I could follow up after I told that band that because, it, you know... Uh, well, it would have felt like an I told you so moment. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, really, I didn't yeah. really feel like that. Like, first of all, I wouldn't have felt gratified by that. Yeah. But I also feel like it wouldn't have done anything different. Like, sure. Um, but there are, what I'm saying is that like in a different kind of relationship aspect, um, like between you and I, for example, um, if you give me criticism, I'm going to, I'm going to think about it because I will mm-hmm. understand that I, I understand and value your opinion You're and gonna ask for it uh, like you asked for like we, we did it we do. did a cover song together and you did ask for criticism yeah um, and I'll know that it is but it's I'll know that it's warranted because I trust your opinion and, and I know that you're not just gonna say something to mm-hmm. be a huge douchebag right um, and I think that particularly in chasing chance what we did really early on was um, we basically sat down and said, okay, well, if this is going to be our job, then we need to treat it like a job. And that means that if your coworkers fucking up and dropping the ball on something, we got to be able to, uh, to, to, mm-hmm. to have that conversation. And so if anybody brings it up, first of all, arguments happen in public, public meaning with everybody present yeah. so that things never spiral out of control, um, in a personal aspect to such a degree that it becomes an issue that could affect the band and so when you have like dispassionate people who aren't a part of the argument they can step in and go hey just calm the fuck down go sit go sit somewhere for an hour right like we're going to calm down we're not going to let this get to a point we're not going to let this boil to a point where it's erupting we're is there an instance where you guys had to enact that strategy or have you guys been pretty oh i would say that we've uh we've there have been instances where um yeah, people have had uh, uh, strong opinions one way or the other about an issue, and have had to go cool off and relax. I was like, um, I don't want you. I don't want you to feel like you have to give me like specific instances. I just like, 
there's uh, I mean it's about any 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 number of things right yeah. it can it can be a it, there were times where um, it, it happened about musical musical decisions like production decisions do we or do we not continue to um, work with a specific uh, producer do we um, do we work with the producer at all does one of us just pick up the reins on that right and Ooh, that um, that's that's a hefty one right that's a big one yeah and we, we ultimately <laughs> decided that one. that the value provided by an outside dispassionate voice is actually super valuable and we decided to keep that out of the band Did I um, I cannot knock bands that can produce themselves by any means because Neither holy shit you found somebody who can put in that level of effort and you trust right? them and you trust them and somehow that's not affecting the the internal relationships right yeah. like i am not too shabby at recording these days yeah um i had i've i've worked with a couple bands that were really big crash courses on that front yeah um but at the same time having done that my opinion has shifted away from Hey, do it yourself. It's like it's getting easier and easier. Mm -hmm. uh, mainly, it's getting easier and easier because like computer technology is getting better. I was like, I would say that 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 is something that I try and steer away from, which I, I do admire about you guys. I know that you guys do it the old-fashioned way for the most part. Uh, yeah, um, we you've got you've got some sampling and stuff going on in there, but but yeah, it's uh, outside of the um, drum sounds. We we blend a little bit of sampling. And then obviously we've got a, a little bit of vocal effects as everybody does, um, yeah. which yeah, I mean, especially Parker, for like drum sounds like drums are fucking tough. Yeah. And it's drums are tough. And it's frankly, uh, it's really it's really, really hard. Yeah. I, I think that you, you hit the nail on the head. It's just really difficult to to make sure that the sound that you want out of your drums is the sound that exists on the recording. And rather than go through all of that, it's pretty easy to just say, sure. But if we added this sample at like 30 percent then it would give the drums i need give a little bit of beef it would give Just it a little yeah. bit more beef exactly and rather than like, retune re-record see if that works it's wrong i tuned a little too tight right. like uh retune re-record like you can just take the recording you have and give take whatever sample you need to alter the sound slightly and mm. then it's fine and i've just like i've i've steered further away from where i used to be where it's like hey just record yourselves yeah like now i'm in a situation where it's like hey record yourselves for your scratch tracks mm -hmm. and go and it's like because studio time is expensive it is wildly expensive um the best like i don't know if you uh, resonate with this i hope you do mm -hmm. but um my advice to any bands that are wanting to get started on recording is get your scratch tracks recorded yourselves or get demos recorded yourselves because it is getting easier and easier all the time. Absolutely. And then take that into the studio and really rely on having that impartial third party present to, like, it doesn't, doesn't even have to be necessarily a producer. Like if you do decide that you want to do the entire process by yourselves, really need to have an impartial third party in there to some degree mm -hmm. being like, Hey, this would sound good here. Or like this, could use a little bit of work let's jump that in there do you prefer I, I mean i guess you you had done you'd kind of dabbled in a little bit of both yeah do you feel like in a really good comfortable spot around like completely self-producing or are you very much in in the camp of hey get a get a professional to do it i think that it, um for chasing chance specifically it's definitely um bring a professional in sure um what about you on your own 
Like, are you talking about me specifically? Or are you talking yeah. about okay? Um, like, let's, I feel, let's say you've got a different project. Yep, you've you've got something that's com- that's uh, completely different, or you have like complete creative control over or something mm-hmm. like that. Do you still land in the uh, produce it yourself, or in uh, get a professional, or mm-hmm. would or would you uh, lean more towards producing yourself, or would you even try producing yourself? I would say that I'm comfortable. So I'll talk first to me and then I'll talk to like, uh, you know, any given random band. Cause obviously um, it wouldn't be up to you solely. Correct. Uh, um, I, big... I'm very comfortable with recording my drums myself. I know what to okay. look for because I've recorded right. drums. I, I mean, I've been recording drums for since I was 16. So almost 15 years. Um, that's a hard one to say. Yeah. yeah. Loud. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my, doesn't pretty it? sure my hairline moved, moved a whole inch up right when I said it, dude. Fuck. Um, yeah, I but, said I was working yeah. at my same job for 10 years yeah. and I could, I swear I could feel my back start to hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, literally I'm like, <laughs> we're sitting up. I was um, like, oh shit. Damn. I'm getting old guys. Uh, but yeah, I, so I'm very, and I mean very comfortable recording because I know, and this is why I think getting a, a dispassionate third party is so important, particularly somebody who has experience. Mm-hmm. There are things, tiny, tiny issues with recording that you won't catch until you've recorded a fucking lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And there are little, little idiosyncratic, tiny things for each instrument. For, I would say, um, I would group them into three main categories, like just like drums, strings, and then like vocals. Um, each of them have their own little weird shit that you have to look out for. And so yeah. when I say like recording drums, I feel really comfortable because I know, for example, to hit the shit out of my shells, but not to hit the shit out of my cymbals. Because, for example, like they can always bring the highs up because none of these drums occupy those frequencies Mm -hmm. and they can artificially boost those if I hit them slightly too soft. But if I drown everything in the cymbals, then it's going to bleed into the other mics. Um, And I had somebody explain that to me, which is the only reason I can sound even remotely confident about (laughs) that. But like (laughs) what I know as the drummer there is don't hit cymbal hard, hit bang, bang thing hard. Right. Like, (laughs) like I know, I know to do that. And somebody who's recording who may not have uh, had the experience that I had might not. And that's where a producer gets to go right after you're like in the middle of your first take, they go, Hey, you're, you're great. You're with the click. Um, I don't have any like real uh, uh, like feedback. I just need I need you to know that I'm not going to be able to use this take because you're beating the shit out of your symbols. Right. I need you to play everything exactly like you did just then, but like lay off the symbols a lot. And um, so I would, which would go against a lot of drummers' instincts. It is. I was like, because like I don't think I've heard any producers really talk about that specifically. When I yeah. was, whenever I was researching it, yeah. Like I like I haven't I haven't recorded drums with a producer in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, then I really hope that I'm not um, just uh, that I got like some specific talking to that was only for me, but that he was like, oh no, people have this problem all the time, dude. Uh, yeah, like, oh shit, it's just me. I think it would um, depend on the symbol too. I mean, there are certain that are going to hit oh, they're different, darker, fre- different yep, frequency ranges correct. that might adjust a little bit. I can yeah. definitely see where he's coming from though. Yeah. Um, the symbol bleed is the maybe not the number one problem that drum engineers have to deal with, but yep. it's up there. Yep. And they can always boost that in the overheads, right? Which is, but anyway, so to, to a degree, but yeah. yeah, to fully fleshly answer your question out, I would feel comfortable with, um, uh, with recording drums and in chasing chance, I feel comfortable with, 
um, us recording the other stuff on our own because everything we've done, we've recorded on our own, actually. Um, with the exception of the beginning EP, I recorded those drums through somebody else. Um, okay. And importantly, the reason I'll explain why I feel comfortable with the other two, though, is the reason is because I did an objective look at do these guys understand their lanes idiosyncratic shit right like <laughs> parker knows to make sure it is more important to make sure that he um does a phrase if he's like holding a note that he doesn't run out of breath in the end and that like tapers off right mm -hmm. he the whole phrase has to be powerful and he'll do a phrase 15 times till he gets it right the same way a producer would make him do that does that make sense mm -hmm. um and so that's I, what I'm talking about when it comes down to that effort, you know, yes, like, to recognize it was like, no, I did not put out 100 percent there. Yeah, like that's that's what I want to see. Yeah. So, I mean, and I saw that with you guys from your first show on. I knew like, yeah. right then and there that that was going to exist. Thank you. I appreciate I appreciate that. Not even necessarily um, as a, a personal compliment, but also just as you recognizing that we did try. And that's a cool thing for people to see. Like you tried and you succeeded. Yeah. Like that's a that's a big part of this. Yeah. So, like, yeah. Like you guys, I mean, chasing chance is still a thing. Like they didn't quit. Like they, they're they're not dead. Mm -hmm. um, it's not past tense. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Like you have a, They have a show coming. Yeah, up, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Like, April 29th, Yeah, but um, sold out. Um, but yeah, like there's there was a there's like a clear effort being made. Like, yeah, and and a lot of the time, and, and that's from a, a musician's perspective. Because mm -hmm. from anybody who's like not a musician is going to look at that. And it's like, of course, an effort is being made. They're yeah. actually there. It's like, yeah, but you'd be surprised. You, like you would indeed be surprised. You'd be surprised. So yeah. It's like you can you can phone it in. <laughs> so you you can really can. You can really phone in a performance if you've like just kind of put yourself on autopilot. Mm -hmm. Especially if the especially if the music isn't particularly complex. Yep. Um, oh yeah, which yeah. your guys is is. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. I mean for our for our genre. Yeah. Well, it's not math metal, but yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's also not. It's also not Blink Ready Two. Um, right. Like, I, well, I'm a I'm the bad parallel there. The string part is significantly more complex. The vocal parts are significantly more complex. I would say that like I draw a lot of influence from Travis Barker, and while I would in. never, either intellectually, honestly, or even in an, a moment of grand ego, say that I'm uh, the same level as Travis Barker, I would say that like our drumming complexity is similar. Um, because I draw influence from him, which like makes right. sense, right? Well, like, unless you're unless your guitar players are Luca Stricanoli, you're not gonna run into court like the level of coordination that drummers have to playing a guitar. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, we're using every limb. Yep, yep. Like there's 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 a lot there. So I mean, even if your drumming isn't that complex, it's still super complex. Mm -hmm. like, sure. I mean, I've I've been drumming since I was twelve. Yeah. Like yeah. there is like it's it's super weird, but I like even though I'm not the most experienced guitar player in the world and music theory is something that still boggles my mind when it comes to particularly around guitar playing trying to learn modes yep. and trying to keep track of all that shit yeah i still find drumming harder than playing guitar yeah like specifically because of the coordination issues that need to get there especially like i mean muscle memory is incredibly important for both yep but particularly around drumming muscle memory is that much harder to break it is, which is why, oh, this is an interesting thing. Um, when I learn our songs, because I sing backup, right? Um, which is, again, another fucking layer of complexity on top the, of everything. And that's exactly what I was going to address is I have to prep. Like when I'm writing a part, if I have something to sing, I have to know that I have something to sing when I'm writing the part. Because mm -hmm. if I learn the part without the vocals, 
I will have to relearn it with the vocals. Yeah. The moment I try to add vocals in, suddenly I can't like because like you said, it's another level of coordination. Oh, dude, there's so many layers to it too. Because yep. at the same time, it's like okay, I need to make sure that I am not hitting these words matching these beats because the phrasing doesn't actually doesn't. match the beats of the drums it matches the beats it matches the the flow of the guitar or something mm -hmm. like that i need to make sure that my breath control is is in here because this fill i'm going to exasperate myself a little bit but i yeah. I can't do that or it's going to make the phrasing sound strange like, yep i did backing vocals for a couple projects playing drums it is a bitch and a half it's hard and i pre i have to practice an enormous amount for it and um give tricks for your breath control uh, do so cardio just do cardio <laughs> okay like I, I had lot. to like I had to start like like meditative breathing oh like yeah. I had to start doing like that four in pause for four yeah breathe out in four stuff like like stuff like that just to like get like so it is important diaphragm control that like diaphragm control was something I was familiar with because I did chorus um in school okay. so like it wasn't i did too but i guess i didn't do it right oh yeah well i that, that taught me like breath control in terms of get a better chorus teacher yeah oh yeah dude miss wilson she's great um but i, I partied with her son sorry if you see this uh miss wilson my bad well what'd, um, you, what'd you do to her son i partied I, nothing i just mostly partied with him uh when well, that's on him then. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, just, but, you just fucked her son over yeah. if anything uh oh, good old ren uh but anyway so yeah i, I think that People really underestimate what the power of like just being um, in a healthy body will do for you for doing your instrument. Oh yeah, right. Like I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. Like I'm working on it. <laughs> drums is a cardio. It it becomes an aerobic activity because you have to do it for. Oh, yeah. Like I mean, our set. I'm not going to give exact uh, times. I don't want to spoil things for our set for the the April show. But our set's over an hour long, right? And because um, we're headlining and. We've got that much music and it's super fun, but like I'm that's breathing a long hard. set. It, you're that's a long, yeah, damn, man. That is a long damn set. Oh, dude. anyway, uh, yeah, and so we're 45 minutes is like was always like an entry level slash sweet spot. Yeah. Oh yeah, you want to be playing 45 minutes so you don't wear yourself out. Yeah. But um, fortunately, uh, we don't we aren't on tour so we don't have to do anything afterwards, right? So um, well, I, don't but, I imagine you're not blasting the drums the entire time either. Like like you guys are smart enough to where you've probably put in some choreo some breaks in there at least oh yeah yeah well i mean yeah we, we i was i was always ready for the slow songs yeah i was always ready for the slow songs even if i had to sing it didn't matter it's just like okay yeah we're, I at, can a, just we're hang at a out we're at a clean 120 right now i can handle that we're in good shape yep. well i mean not your fault i don't drum for two-thirds of the song right you know like <laughs> yeah, so that first that one helps out a ton is, first you know? portion of it's pretty uh easy for you yeah um so but yeah i, I would say that like you know if, if i'm to give advice to somebody who wants to drum and sing um, or even just drum in general, like just the simple thing of taking care of your body and you don't have to be a fucking marathon runner. Just like, don't not do cardio. Yeah. If drums are your only cardio, then you need to do it like a cardio sport and like do it for like, you know, three or four hours, three times a week. But if you're not doing that and then you expect to be able to perform at that level, um, especially once you grow out of like 22 when you're invulnerable and it doesn't matter. Right. Um, then. <laughs> then sure then well, sure i was deaf i definitely felt that way at 22 yeah yeah uh and and now that you, now that you and i are older we both know that you can't do that anymore right you can't just like not take care of it and then still perform you know um well i was i'm an asthmatic and so i could never yeah i, I never felt invulnerable at 22 like yeah. every oh, every drum session felt like a fucking torture yeah. session fuck me I, like i started biking yeah, like when I was when I was younger, like I was I was doing a little bit of biking because I was like I really wanted to work on ankle strength, yeah, uh, just particularly leg strength. 
Um, but yeah, that was that was a portion. I wasn't able to go for very long though. Yeah, as an asthmatic. Yeah, and then I dropped out of that. Like I've got a bike now. I'm trying to hop on that more frequently. I've got a. I can't call it COVID weight anymore. <laughs> so I gotta. I yeah, gotta, I gotta burn that shit off. Yeah. Um, I'm the same way. Um, I'm I'm by no means under any kind of delusion that I'm like out of shape, but I'm not in the shape that I was before COVID. Uh, I was rock climbing more frequently then. Yeah. I was I was in. I was in very good shape. I'm down from where I was at. Like I'm, I'm yeah. getting to a point where like I can fit in my old shirts again. Yeah. And there's, and there's, some, there's some like, there's some give there. It's not like super tight on me. Fuck anymore. yeah, man. So feel good yeah. about that. Yeah, no, we're we're getting there. I've good. got, I've got until July to like really, to really, like really cut. Yeah, I've got till the 29th because I've, I've got a bunch of hiking in July that I'm going to be doing, and I really don't want to be carrying around as much weight. Yeah, yeah, as, I, as I've got. So, but um, um yeah, man, I th- I think that. You know, uh, I I approach drumming kind of in that same sort of profession. Like, what do professional drummers do? They practice. Okay, so I'm going to practice. You know, right. like, um, and I kind of, when I say compare yourself to com- your competitors, I'm, t- I'm not talking about, like, I have never looked at a non-successful, I don't want to say local because that's the wrong way to look at it, just in general. Um, I've never looked at a, a non-successful musician um, I never looked at any musician I want to emulate and, and been like, I'm going to do something different than them. I've never looked at a musician that I don't want to emulate and been like, I can just do that and be fine. Right. I, 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 I swap the two. I learn when I see somebody who I don't want to, I don't want my career to look like that. I say, what are they doing that I don't need to do? And when I see somebody succeed or I prevail, Right. I look at that band and I go, what are they doing that is making them that successful? Yeah. You, and, you want to take from successes, but you really want to learn from failures. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I, and that's how kind of I approach um, my entire uh, job as a musician. And I, I say it that way because it's really important to note that when you're a professional musician, you are whatever instrumentalist you are plus extra. And this is a thing that I feel musicians try not to talk about. Um, because they don't want to mostly, um, unless they're going to be professionals, which is like the music is like 25% of the job. Yeah. Um, and I'm talking about, that's not even me just saying the recorded music and then like the live so is another 25 playing. The that's music the, yeah, that's well. all of that. And then 75% of the job is the rest of it. And, um, what your band needs to do, right. Is each individual needs to do that 25% and then contribute to the other 75%. Mm-hmm. The, um, the, I would say, you know, now it's nowadays you call it social media, but it's just promotion, right? In general, if you look at it as a total thing, the networking, you know, the, uh, building a fan base, the picking the right products, um, not signing yourself to a contract that's going to screw you in 30 years, right? Um, mm-hmm. making sure you make good business decisions that are going to actually make a return on investment. Uh, you know, all of that is part of the job too. And I don't need to do all 75% of that myself, but between all the members of my project, we need to do all of that at a professional level. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. One, one thing that I noticed that you guys were really good at, that, and it's it's undeniable because the writing is on the wall at every show that we go to, mm-hmm. but you guys were particularly adept at building your fan base mm-hmm. quickly. Yeah. What was like, did you have like a specific strategy around that, that you kind of, Mm -hmm. that you worked through that you feel like is probably unique from just like, I would, consistency and 
content creation because because again like you guys sold out you guys first show mm-hmm. you guys didn't have any like a lot of content to like really showcase to people in order to bring them in there and so like that kind of goes against what i was saying earlier to where if i if you invite me to like a band page and i go in and i see that there's no content on i'm gonna walk away yeah it was like you guys had that very unique challenge but you still overcame it mm-hmm. in flying colors yeah so I, like how what was your I, I, I'm not I don't say you need to divulge any secrets to me or anything like that but like how did you go about how do you go about something like that I'm very public about the way that we have managed to sell our tickets um, okay and yeah, I well, and yeah. I offer it to anybody who listens um, some people do some people don't and what I'll tell you is this um, every band that has listened to me has I've received the same feedback after they try after they try it which and that feedback is always holy shit I didn't realize we could sell that many tickets. Um, I am not going to divulge specific bands, but every band that I've given help to has sold over 100 tickets than their, their very next show. And that strategy is not hard. It's, it's not hard to understand. And it, uh, from a theoretical perspective, it's not hard to do, but people don't want to do it because it is sales. It yeah. is a combination of sales and, uh, frankly, just like putting the effort in. So Here's the strategy, and it's not going to surprise you. I, no one has ever heard this and gone. So you know, you know what, what I mean. Some people, some people need it though. Yeah. Some people are. Some people need it. It's like just because it's obvious doesn't mean it's obvious. Yeah. So, it's three main things. The first is you have to have a product worth selling. Mm-hmm. So if your product's bad, nobody's going to buy it. We talked about that earlier with sandwiches. Sure. The second. Is, these are prereq. These are more prerequisites before you yeah. before you've actually applied your strategy and reached um, out to make your sale. Like, well, the other two are the, are the are the the sale the okay. sale the sale okay. part, but you can't do the other two if the first isn't there. Sure. And there is work required to do that that we've kind of talked about, right? Like yeah. you know, yeah, we're you know, we're we're up to that point. Recording right? well, etc. Yeah. Um, you have to, you have to go sell. You have to understand the product, professional expertise, and you have to which you should have being. Yeah. A maker of it yeah i would hope yeah and you have to go um you have to go sell it and that those two things are you have to put yourself in a situation where you can sell it and no matter how easy it is to do it i will tell you what that doesn't look like it doesn't look like posting a status on facebook once a week <laughs> and <laughs> saying i've got tickets hit me up no one in my band does it that way and every member of my band sells at least 30 tickets and i personally the highest number i've ever sold for a show was 230 i'm gonna i'm gonna go out on a limb here and take a guess at what your shot is because it's what i've told bands to do and it is to literally reach out to people individually and try and sell a ticket to them yes but i would say that there are there are prerequisites to that um i think that you will sell more tickets if you you will sell more tickets if you individually reach out to and craft a message, a genuine message to two people and you say, hey, I, dude, Seth, you and I have been friends for a while. I know you like pop punk, right? Um, I'm actually in a pop punk band and we're playing a show coming up and I think it'd be cool if you'd be there. But before you even decide on that, here's one of our songs. If you just do me a favor and listen to it because I think you'll like it. Um, and if you do, then let's talk about that. But if you don't also, that's fine. Um, we just won't talk about that and we continue being friends like normal. Right. Surprisingly, as long as I don't pick somebody who hates pop punk, 
that person will like the song. Yeah, you got to know your audience. Yeah, and yeah. So, so you are door to dooring it, sense, like in yeah. a, in a, in a sense. Yeah, you're door to dooring it. Let's but. talk about the prerequisites and the other things that you kind of do in that context. Um, the prerequisites are you need to have a relationship built in order to reach out to that person. What I'm not really doing, at least very often, because I have, but it hasn't been super successful, and I don't tend to sink my time and energy into things that aren't very successful for very long. Sure, um, is like true cold texts, like. Me, um, even if I think that person, you're not reaching out to a stranger. Yeah, I'm yeah. not because that person, at least nearly all the time, has not bought a ticket as a result and has not showed up to the show. Don't have a reason to either. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, again, like that's why that's why cold calls are generally only saved for people selling diet pills and shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, like you want an MLM, and if you want a cold call, get into an MLM. Exactly. But. Um, so instead, what you do is you you look at the people in your life the network of people that you have built throughout the entirety of your life. And you ask yourself, which of these people would like my product? Um, you let them invite people who they'd want to bring along. Well, yeah, you like just, it spreads through word of mouth. Yeah. Like you yeah. close those gaps and yeah. But it starts with building the relationship with that person. Yeah. I have to have a relationship strong enough that I can do that reach out. Um, and that is, and this is the, the part that like people don't really think about, which is just, I'm not reaching out to, to pe to to randoms i'm i'm reaching out to like you mm -hmm. a person i know yeah and i'm and i'm you're you're, you're not exactly making a gamble yeah like you're you're going in on what you assume is going to be a sure thing exactly and then the other half of that is if the number of people that i know who is interested in my product is so small that i cannot sell my product to people reasonably without calling in favors, which does not last. Right. What, right that's not no. what you want. I don't want my fan to or be my can, mom. Or you can only do it at least once. Yeah. You only get it once usually. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, then the other half is this. I put myself in situations and in, in, um, engross myself in a community of people who will like it. Mm -hmm. And I build those relationships with those people. And one of the reasons that I sell have sold 230 tickets to a show is I, support the music scene mm -hmm. and I don't do it with expectation but I do it to support those people and then when and then I have relationships built so that when I have a product worth selling and I approach those people they do buy a ticket and come to my show mm -hmm. and I'm eternally grateful for them but I'm not going to pretend that that isn't built on my support of them too right um, and it, it's a, a fine line to walk because it's not a transaction. And I don't expect it out of them. If they never come to a show of mine, that's fine. Yeah. But I can't even reach try. out to them. I would have never had that connection in the first place if I hadn't went and just made friends. Mm -hmm. So the full strategy is this. This is, this is why I ain't getting anywhere in the music. <laughs> yeah. I'm too antisocial. <laughs> the, the, the full, the full, and well, it's also really important to note that like, you don't gotta be me, Right. Like I said, I it's not necessarily what I'm saying. It's yeah. just like if you're if you are like me and like I don't brought like this podcast is going to be the closest portal anybody's going to get to my personal life. Yeah. Uh, or like hearing me talk on a regular basis unless uh, unless we get together in person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like I'm not going to I'm not going to garnish relationships over social media. I hate it. Yeah. Um, my social media is an advertising platform for my content. Yeah. And 
I don't even send out page invites anymore. I was mm-hmm. like, I, well, first of all, I don't manage a Facebook page anymore. anymore. Like, Jones on the Lens has a Facebook page. I have not posted to it in ages. Mm-hmm. Facebook is not a good platform for uh, your content to reach to grow. out. To, yeah. to reach out. Like Instagram and Twitter, generally the two. YouTube as well. It's like, well, for, for photography. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, okay, sure. Instagram, yeah. Instagram is tops, and I hate that, but it's yeah. up there. Um, but yeah, Facebook doesn't really get you a lot of growth there. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm not in the boat where I'm comfortable garnishing a relationship through a social media platform. So I'd want to do it in person, but, uh, me and my wife are homebodies. Yeah. So that's fair. We're just kind of like that. Like, I, I, like I, like that's part of the reason I've got the podcast going is cause I do want to, I do want to reach out more. I want to like put myself out there on a yeah. social basis, but I also want to have conversations with people who I will agree with or disagree with on a, on a regular basis and then show people that, Hey, you can have it both ways. Yeah. And, and uh, it's a good conversation. Yeah. You know, thought provoking. Um, hopefully people learn from it. And... So yeah, I'm selling my product to you right now. I don't know how many people are watching this share right now, but I'm selling oh, the no, podcast to you. Like I, like it was apparent to me again, because like I was, I'm not saying that I was able to size you up completely on our first meeting, but sure. just like over our interactions, like it was very clear that there was a genuinely different level of effort being put into your craft, mm-hmm. which I appreciated, like just just from the outside and and from the inside the industry, yeah, like from both perspectives. Uh, there was a genuine level of interest that you had in the people that you were interacting with. Like it wasn't just okay, like because like. I can see how some people might find it a little ingenuine to hear you talking about how you're garnishing a relationship specifically to sell a ticket. That wasn't yeah. what it felt like to me. It felt like you were actually interested in meeting new people and being sociable yeah. and kind of like interacting with those people and then maybe throwing out a ticket pitch to them. Yeah. Like, which I also found really genuine. Um, yeah. And that was kind of what pulled me in because like right, right around the time no, well, just before the pandemic, unfortunately. Yep. I was putting together like the, the, documentary, the documentary plan, and I had so I had the tale untold, and I had already started with them uh, because like I had something it was completely different that I had in mind for them, and then it ended up being something completely different than what I had in mind. What ended up being produced, I'm just glad I was able to get something out. Um, but I had the tale untold. I had you guys. I had Gallivant, and I had the impulsive. God. So those good. were the those were the four bands that I had in mind that I wanted to surround uh, episodes on and like kind of start there yeah and then see if I was able to sustain it afterwards because uh, it was a big undertaking it was just me yeah I didn't have a crew if I was able to get a crew like after those four bands I feel like I would have built up a pretty good yeah like solid sample mm-hmm. uh, of what I was trying to go for and then maybe be able to get some like more funding to be able to pay people to help me produce something proper because I, I do still care a lot about the Omaha scene and uh, I want to see it grow. I want to see it flourish. And so projects like yours, people who put in the effort like you do are, are instrumental in that actually getting there. Yeah. Um, so don't stop. Thank you. Is like the main point. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people would do really well to listen strong to what your strategy was there. Like, is there a alternate method that you would suggest for people who don't have quite the level of uh, <laughs> social interest that you do? Sure. It's like if, if there's some, like if you had to give advice to somebody who 
is not able to, it, like it does not come from a sales background. Yeah. I mean, you didn't come from a sales background, yeah. but you are now. Yeah. But like, if you're coming from it without like that level of marketing, like how do you recommend somebody get started on something like that? On building a community yeah. um, or on, okay. Well, I would say that maybe, maybe building a community, but maybe just getting into the mindset to build that community without having it feel fake. Yep. The, the biggest thing is to understand that like, um, how do you feel about, like, think about the way that you feel about the music that really touches you. Um, you, you res, it resonates. You've used that word a few times and that is the way that I feel about music, right? Like it, it, the emotions that it evokes, you understand universally what the artist meant without ever having to go through that experience yourself because music is you know the same way that math is the universal language uh, music is a universal communicator right you yeah, can feel yeah, what the artists are going through and i've never been through the things that parker has been through but not your fault makes me cry right why because on stage too um because it resonates yeah and that resonance is just a connection right it's a connection between that person and the artist and so when you use that as the foundation then you start to look at building a community as just building connections with people genuine emotional connections with people and mm -hmm. that is the way that i would say that you start framing it right um you anytime you talk to somebody about it you need to make sure that um, if you want them to care, you need to get them to care about it. Um, when you're putting social media together, when you're putting content together, tell a story so that people can buy in, right? Um, there are kind of two main ways to build a community. You can do it um, kind of grassroots guerrilla, the way that I have personally attacked it a lot. Mm -hmm. um, you can do it uh, through social media. I think the real Zebos, for example, have done a fantastic job. They do, yeah. They of, do great yes, on that, pl on that um, front. And they are seeing wild success as a result of it. Because they, they went weird. Oh, which yeah. is which is a risky play, they but went, like if you but if you do it right, like yeah. it goes really well. It was a it was um a similar eccentric direction as like uh I set my friends on fire, but like a different direction. You right. know? <laughs> I set my friends on fire, posts in all caps and screams about um that enjoy censoring this one, you know, how they're gonna fuck their mom's pussy until they, you know, come on their titties and then well, somebody gets on anything, and they're like yeah. yeah, and then somebody, you know, gets on and and says, like, well, what do you think of Waffle House? And they're like, you know, I will fight you in the parking lot, Lamau. Like, that's one way to go about that eccentric style. The real Zebos have gone like kind of meme and uh So is that kind of the direction you would recommend somebody go if they don't want to do like the the in person social side of things is to just find like a almost almost find a gimmick. Um, to like put out there to kind of like attract people in like just strictly an entertainment way instead of a connective way. <laughs> I'd say entertain the entertainment ways uh, entertainment versus connective is a good way of describing how they've done it. I would say that's one of the ways you can do it in social media. The other way is um, you can do an emotional connective like you are close to us through social media. Mm -hmm. um, you just have to make sure that your content like is framed in that perspective. So you do things like, hey, you know, we're all getting dinner, you know. Um, here's a here's a quick video of me you know uh, us pranking john you know and, right. and and you get to feel like you're part of the crew and you build this story for yourself i think that people are attracted to stories right significantly more than they're attracted to really anything else which yeah um, is I mean, its own issue societally where people 
value anecdotal data over actual data, but people are attracted to stories. And so when you make a story for yourself that people can buy into and they want to see the next episode, right? They, they're waiting for the next content to post like that kind of thing. And it doesn't need to be like this episodic TV series level of production. It can be something as simple as, you know, oh my God, one of the band members is pregnant now. Guys, what are we going to name it? Right? Like, you know, you involve them in your story and that builds the same connection. It's just a lot slower and more methodical than going okay. and talking and getting beers with somebody after a show. Right. Well, like, I imagine you could do a mixture of both to that degree. Cause the, like, cause by the time you've gotten them to the show already, you've already kind of like cracked the ice. Well, here's the, and here's the, here's the beauty of it is, um, what you saw is when you pour your heart and soul into the gorilla side of it, what you can do is you can amass a small cult following pretty quickly. Chasing Chance sells between 350 and 400 tickets to every show when we when we put our backs into it. And that's incredible. That is incredible. And to this day, like I am unbelievably humbled by the amount of people who have decided that they care enough about, you know, the things that I personally and also we as a band and as an organization want to do that I'm just floored by it. But the point is what you run into is a problem of scale, right? I can only sure. meet a couple of people a night over and over again. And if I do that for five years, that's great. I've amassed a thousand people, but after five years, I want more than a thousand fans. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and so what you do is you kind of blend them into each other. Um, you use the first to make content for the second that you can broadcast on the internet at scale. And you start to see some of the results that like the Zebos see, right? Um, I've talked at, at length with, with Jordan and I'm not going to divulge like you know, a private conversation, but I'll say that like, um, he, he does feel to some degree, um, that at least at first they got a little lucky, um, on the social media side. Uh, well, um, especially on the social media side, luck has a lot to do with it. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's um, a, sadly a very, not a, not an unimportant factor. Yeah. Which sucks, but they got a little lucky at first and they've done a, an unbelievably good job and are the absolute paragon of what people should look at when they look at how to produce high quality stuff. Again, you, you, you abstract it because the way that they do it might be different than the way you want to do it. But you look at why was, why did people care about this content? Right. Um, and it's because they tell a story too. their story is a different one than I set your friends on fire and it's a different one than what chasing chance tells. And what we're struggling with kind of at the, at, at the at current point is um, how do we start to break into that market and scale our products? Because it's mm -hmm. great to be able to sell 350, 400 tickets a show. It's amazing. Monetizing that has been very great for us. We've been able to, um, because we run our own shows uh, for the most part, we don't go through a, um, a promoter. Uh, we have made enough money to like buy a PA, which is, or not a PM, sorry, um, an in-ear setup, an IEM. And so good. Game yeah. changer. Oh, it's such absolute, a game changer, absolute man. Absolute game changer. Oh, man. But uh, the point is that that's expensive, and we've used our profits to in increase our ability to do that, but the problem is that we're not growing, right? And 350 to 400 tickets is amazing, and we've made so much money compared to bands our level hmm. of, like, exposure. But what did I say was the goal? The goal is that I quit my job and can pay my bills and live my life. And I'm only one of five people the band would need to support. Right. And ultimately, 
all the money we made last year is amazing, but it doesn't, it wouldn't even pay for one of our lifestyles at current day without having to scale that up to like having a family. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have to find a way to scale. Do you, what do you feel like is kind of the, uh, the main hurdle that you've run into around that? Um, a couple of things. Uh, I think that a, a luck, luck has played a little bit of the factor. Sure. Um, I think that at first we were, we saw such success in the first thing in the first of those two arenas, right? Like the guerrilla marketing that we right. thought that that alone would carry us and that we would get picked up or noticed by, um, somebody with sufficient influence and ultimately that hasn't been the case so far. And so at first, I, I would say that the first obstacle hurdle was just that we were slow moving towards getting into this space. Um, well, I mean, it seemed awful fast, honestly. Like at first you guys, you guys were skyrocketing. Yeah. Well, then you we had COVID and that, there. yeah. And as much as, like, you know, COVID was almost a reset button for just was. about everybody's progress level. So I don't even, I don't even know if I would consider the time of COVID as a, yep. as like a, a, a hindering factor. It's almost like it just like, that was just like non-existent in the band's calendar. Yep. Like, so you so then you say you know 2021 mid 2021 was our first yeah like it, as soon as as soon as covid was over it was like you were starting from scratch again yep so then we didn't have any relevant content we had to play a show to get relevant content we had right. got some shout out to my boy anthony flaccus for taking some fucking killer photos um he's he, he's so good he's so he's another one of those people you know i you, you and i talked earlier about having like the eye you have the eye you know like the the the, the cameraman's eye yeah. the videographer's eye the, the the photographer's eye anthony is just a, a fucking he's a genius mm -hmm. um i really wish he would take more of our money uh, <laughs> and and would stop ghosting me every time i try and send him a 12 text long you know fucking verbal masturbation session let for him. me pay you yeah dude like damn uh like i wouldn't have that problem yeah uh, I, uh, if i well if you'd have a hard time getting me to like accept paid work these days oh um, wow but if i got but if i took the paid work and yeah. be like okay right pay me yeah yeah exactly because you're because you're a professional too and i and, yeah. I, and I, you know a rising tide raises all boats and right. i, I want to see people who are success and who are successful and put in the effort. I want to see those people succeed, mm -hmm. um, just as much as I want myself to succeed. And that's part of the reason why I, I contribute so heavily to the to the Omaha community. Um, that's why when I saw what you were doing, because our first interaction was me fucking randomly donating to 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 the to the documentary you mentioned earlier, right? And and I and then we started to get to know each other from there because it's like a big reason it happened too. Yeah, because because I believed in what you did. Because I still believe to this day in the quality of product that you do. Because again, you know, you and I share I'm a mind so, here. I'm so glad I was able to get something out there. Yeah. Like I'm so glad I was able to put something together, even though it was so far away from the original vision that I had had. Um, that's still a, that's still a major failure to me. Like I still think I still think about that from time to time. Um, it's like because the video itself, like I can't even look at you right now. <laughs> no man. Um, yeah, that was a uh, that was like a key moment for me. Mm -hmm. as a creator because it was the it was the first real time that I ever ran into uh like a, a like a true fail yeah um not necessarily not necessarily like a like I failed to like give something to something cuz I did come out with like something like yeah. I was able to produce a product but it was almost like a surrender of yeah. a product it was like yeah 
I'm throwing my hands up. I've given up. But so much time had gone by from when I had started working on it to where most of the content that I'd put together would have been irrelevant when it actually came out. And that was the most difficult part about it. And then there's also been some like personal stuff in the band that it, that it came out that yep. made stuff that I had recorded completely irrelevant. Yeah. Um, and now even more stuff has happened. So if you, even if I wanted to revisit it, like like there's even more stuff that's happened. It's like this isn't going to serve them anymore. Yes. And so like just like the time frame that I would have needed to have upheld. Yeah. Became impossible to to stick with be, be, mainly because of COVID. That's what I was going to say like, is like. I just want to make sure that you're being fair. Having high standards for yourself is both important and something I encourage in my friends um, and the people that I care about in my life. It can be a wild hindrance at the same time. It can be if you're unfair to yourself. Does that make sense? If you say, for example, that um, if you tried to claim, for example, that any perceived, any self-perceived failure in that documentary um, was entirely your own fault i would say that that i would say that's unfair because covid was a was a big part of it i would i wouldn't say entirely my fault but i would say majoritively i can't is. speak i can't speak to that because i don't i'm not you yeah no fair point you know i just like i i knew that i had to take responsibility for what it was and so yeah. that's why i made the video that i did where it's yeah. just like okay i can't put together what I wanted to put together because so many things have changed. Yep. So many things have become irrelevant yep. to the final product that I had originally had in mind. I ran into a bunch of technical issues uh, that caused a bunch of problems. And then the band ran into a bunch of issues that changed the circumstances of what my product would have ended up being, being. Um, especially lately. Yeah. Uh, so like revisiting it is almost completely out the window at this point. And so I took uh, I took the section of the project that had just the message that I wanted to send through it, which yeah. was, hey, these guys mean a lot to me. They mean a lot to the scene. Um, I don't know if they get told that enough, so I'm going to I'm going to put it in video form. I'm going to show them. Yeah. And try and make them cry. That'd be a bonus point if I could get that, <laughs> um, which a couple of them did. Yeah, I nailed I nailed it on a couple of them. So I did I did succeed in that regard. But that was still it still felt like kind of a uh, uh, kind of a concession. And that's like uh, I won't be able to shake that for a long time. It's like because I don't. What I'll say is this, man, Um, the way you feel is kind of a really fundamental um, piece of my world paradigm in general. But I can't make anybody think do anything except myself. Um, Mm -hmm. I think other people are people deserving of respect and wholly in control of their own choices um, sans uh, external circumstances like mental illness or etc. But the point that I'm trying to get to here is I can't tell you or make you in any way um, not be upset with the product that you produced. What I can do is number one, make sure that you're considering things so that you are at least judging yourself in a fair light. Like I said earlier with like the COVID thing, for example. And the second thing I can tell you is this. Having seen the product, I think that the message, I think that while it did not, it may not have lived up to your true vision, your original true vision, mm-hmm. that of which I don't know, I haven't, I have inklings that we've talked about it, but like it longer, you're the only uh, one who knows, right? Um, yeah. What I'll say is this, I, I have a really, uh, I don't want to call it a hot take, but maybe a unique take on how art should be judged in the first place, and I think that you can kind of abstract a way to judge art. Um, that it combines 
a small amount of subjectivity with a bunch of objectivity. And that stance is this. It's a tough balance. It is. Um, but most people would argue that it's almost extremely subjective, right? Like that'd be the, at least the, what I would believe to be the prevailing uh, at thought. Gut in, at gut instinct, yeah. yes. So here's my thoughts on it. Um, you judge a piece of art by first establishing what the artist wanted to do with that piece of art. And then you look at all of the individual pieces of that art to see how well the art accomplishes that. And you can mm -hmm. use that to judge a video game, a movie, a drawing, uh, a speech, uh, a any any piece of art. And what I'll say is this, if your goal was to show people that the tale untold is an integral part of the community that cares a lot about their music and um, and are people who who try and should be highlighted for that and you wanted to send a personal message to them saying also like I see you mm -hmm. then I would rate your art pretty highly there okay I mean that was the that was the goal of that yep. part of the project yep. so I mean like I do feel like that was success a success there um, because I wa I was able to watch it and be like okay I feel like this says what I needed it to say the the full project I'll just give you the skeleton real quick because it's it was super baseline like I wanted to start out with like the first portion of it being just kind of like all right let's get the origins part out of the way yeah let's just go over the details and have it be split amongst each individual band member having been interviewed separately yeah and then like see how the stories kind of like intermesh with each other because they all because every band member comes into a project in a different way yeah um then kind of go through sort of like the inner workings uh, almost like in a reality situations like, hey, this is just how they are. Like this is the kind of shit that you don't see when mm -hmm. you're on stage mm -hmm. unless you're a musician already, in which case you're going to kind of have a really good idea about how practices go and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like banter in between and all that shit. And yeah. then finish it out with like the like a show, like yeah. them getting ready for a show, prepping up, getting ready to go and then going and playing it. Yeah. And then it evolved into, okay, let's showcase how bands are surviving in COVID right now. Yep. Let's go through all that. And then we went back and forth like 14 fucking times about whether shows were going to open up or whether they weren't going to open up. And I was like, okay, you know what? We're going to finish this out with like their first show back. This is like the COVID opener. And then there were a bunch of concerts and stuff that were doing COVID openers. And then Lookout Lounge closed, which was going to be like a, a part of it too, because Lookout Lounge was like a pivotal part of the Omaha music scene for a long time. hundred percent. And then, and yeah, there was just like hurdle after hurdle. Like, and there's a bunch more details that I'm not going into, but yeah, yeah that was, yep. Uh, like that was the original idea. And it just kind of <laughs> like every turn that, you know, every turn that life took me on was a left when it came to regards to that project. So, um, the main reason that I felt horrible is because people had donated to help me make it. Yeah. And that burned the living fuck out of me, which is why, like, I gave, which is why I did, like, a bunch of fucking free content for you. I was like, okay, I'm going to give him his money back somehow. Yeah. All right, let's get some photos, get some video, let's do some shit that we can't, like, for pretty much everybody that donated, it was like, okay. And that was also, like, part of the donation criteria. I was like, hey, yeah. if you donate, I'm going to, like, even if I don't get this documentary out, you essentially paid for a photo session or something like that. Yeah. At, a, like, a wild discount. Yeah. So, like... That that helped fade the heat that I put on myself a little bit, but yeah, like I don't I don't think that uh, I don't even think that if I was thinking about it slightly unfairly would have been necessarily a bad thing, because like 
I, I, it, it didn't dissuade me from continuing my craft. Like that's the, that's the big thing. It was like, so if, if I was beating myself into the dust and just throwing myself under the bus, every single opportunity that I got to come up with an excuse for why I was like, Oh, this was shit. You shouldn't have been doing this in the first place. Give up, quit or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Like if that was the outlook that I was taking, sure. I can relate to being like, Hey, to your impulses, just like, Hey, that that's not fair. Don't do that. Yeah. But, um, even in a situation where that's something that I was doing, if I was using that as a motivator to keep going, like I know that there are definitely people out there who use that as kind of like a tool to be like, okay, I need that person in my head mm -hmm. so I can tell that person to fuck off and, and get keep it trying and get it done anyway. Yeah. Like that is a weird, uh, like a mechanism. It's a, yeah, yeah. it's a weird mechanism, but it, it's one that works for me sometimes. Yeah. Um, and it did end up eventually meaning the creation of the product that did that, end up coming out. ultimately came out of it. Yeah. Like, and it is also the same reason that most of my content, like I, I try, like I, I put, a yeah, fucking, I put a fucking effort in. I know we talked about it, dude. It's, this is, right. this is a sick fucking, this is in case you guys don't know, this is like, these are, this is his art. And also, yeah, I didn't put anybody else's shit up there. The, the presentation <laughs> of this is also dope as shit. Like, this is a cool space. And um, I, you know what? I ran into some geometry problems though, and they're driving me crazy sometimes. I see what you mean, but uh, they don't. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't like dead yeah, even in yeah, some places. Yeah, um, uh, like I, I think that I don't know if you would be uh, if you're the type of person who would be dissuaded from continuing. This might be a hot take, but if you're the type of person who would be dissuaded from continuing in your craft because somebody else or even yourself told you that you did a bad job on a part of it, then I would argue that you probably weren't cut out for doing it in the first place. Like, I would say that as a general rule, I probably agree there. Um, it's like, cause and, like, and I'm, I'm talking in a, obviously that's a big generality. Yep, yep. Like, I mean, that's not uh I, it, it's hard because each person is going to have their own individual experience as far as all that's concerned. Yes. But let's like, if I took it to your situations, like, do you think you would still consider yourself a drummer? If after the first time you played live, <laughs> somebody, sh somebody shit all over you and just dogged you endlessly. And then you stopped playing live from that point, but you still like, you still loved the concept of drumming in and of itself. Would I have been cut out for drumming? Is that your question? Would you, yeah, if you had quit after like that first iteration of it, after putting in all that effort, like, do you, do you feel like, hmm, that's a good question. It's actually a really good question because I did get shit on after my first show. I think everybody does. Yeah. <laughs> I think everybody does to a certain point. Um, well, I also bungled it, uh, which is fair because I, I was 14. I, so there you go. Um, and I learned how to play. In case anybody doesn't know this about me, I learned how to play drums in Rock Band, the video game. Dude, um, I I argued for such a long time that that was a good tool. I think it is. Like, for, I think it is for like, drums. There's a certain coordination trick that yeah. has to happen in your brain for it to work, and yeah. I don't care how you get it. Like once you've got it, like fucking yep, fine. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Literally, people are like, oh, go outside, touch grass. Why are you playing? I was like, because it works. It does. <laughs> um, uh, I think that the only thing you really get out of the guitar side of it is like rhythm. And the ability to move your fingers independently. There's but, uh, a little bit of coordination yeah, there between yeah, the hands. Yeah. And yeah, there's a little bit of like finger strength that you might have gotten out of. Not fully. Yeah. Right, but. Um, 
but like chords too, like figuring that stuff out, it, it requires you to getting to or here's so what I'll say. Those it was for chords. It was like far too linear. Yeah, it was just far too like single line. Exactly. Like you really had to like kind of like spread those fingers out a little bit. Yeah, that looked so terrible. I think maybe but. what I'm um, the differences between the two are that if you get to expert on Guitar Hero, and I I know this because I. Uh, I've competed in Guitar Hero. Um, yeah, that's yeah, was my too. high. Yeah, I just fucking loved that. Shit. It was so fun. Um, but like when you, the, your ability to play a guitar, being able to play, um, you know, like through the fire and the flames or any of the hardest Guitar Hero songs on Expert, um, I still couldn't five star it. It's a real hard one. Uh, I was never able to five star it. I got I got four stars once, and I was like, holy, holy shit, shit, dude, yeah. Um, um, I was never able to five star through the fire and the flames. But you you don't, I can't replace the guitar hero controller in your hands and then you play like even just smoke on the water like you don't know right no, no chance but i can i can actually literally take somebody who plays um a, a, a really simple song on expert like can play it like 100 percent um mm-hmm. on rock band one the video game and just move their hands and their right foot because the one thing it doesn't teach you is hi-hat because there's no pedal for it but like right. if all it is is for example ride and snare if i just literally picked them up out of the rock band set and placed them in front of a drum set and said, this is your blue note. This is your red note. The bass drum is the same. I'm going to play the the chart for you. I'm going to literally play the rock band chart. I want you to just play it. That's your blue note. That's your red note. That's your fucking bass mm-hmm. drum. It would be the song. It would, yeah. It would be the song. Yeah. Um, and but that, any, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Would you have been dissuaded? Uh, oh, yeah. after, after yeah, that first bit of a tangent. Show. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah um, we did. Uh, but you were you were having, gonna go like super interesting. I got to yeah. hear this one. How how uh, having parsed it a little bit more, um, I think that I am more inclined to be, to believe you. I would say that the type of person who gets to the end goal, a professional level of any given thing did not give up when it got hard at mm-hmm. that thing, right? Whether it's, and this I think goes for pretty much anything. This is running, right? This is uh, music. This is sales. This is um, cable. This is whatever it is, right? Uh, God, I hope I'm not passionate about cable. Yeah. Fuck. The point is that like um, you have faced adversity in your job and yet you still do it and you got to a professional level as a result rather than sure. saying, fuck this, right? And whether you're motivated by passion like I am for music at the in my particular case or sure, but like if I had, would be for photography. Sure. But if I had gotten fired from my job, I don't think I would have stayed in the cable industry. Like that's like, true too. That's, that's kind of a different thing. Like, and there are outside factors. N- now I probably would because it's the most relevant to my field and yeah. to my resume at the moment. But fair. Like if you had been kicked out of the first band that you were in when you played live, that might've changed things. It okay. might've, or I would say rather than kicking me out of the band, let's change it just very slightly and make it um, more uh, analogous to if you had been fired because there was a financial penalty there. So let's say instead of um, me getting kicked out of the band because there's no financial penalty to me getting kicked out of a, of a garage band, right? Not but, at 14. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but let's say instead that they had uh, broken my drum set, like they had like done some like real heinous shit, taken my drums and like broken them in the bar, mm-hmm. and I would have had to purchase a new drum set. I would tell you that that might have been different. It might have been different then. It's kind of hard to think back to those situations because, yeah. like, at fourteen, especially, like, with as impressionable as we are at yeah. that age, like, who knows what direction that could have pull, pulled you in? And that's why it's like difficult. Oh, this is just a, a very separate thing that I'll briefly touch on, but is a really interesting concept that I've kind of recently 
been thinking at length about, which is I'm not sure analogies are useful tools in general. I think you kind of have to examine every situation in the totality of its own circumstances in its own context. Yeah, um, sure. And it makes it very difficult to communicate about those topics because everybody wants to use analogies as these interesting and easy to explain heuristics, right? Well, like me they also sandwiches. Over well, and over. analogies also often lead to generalities in yep. what they're talking about. And like, there's very few situations where I can think of where the nuance isn't important. Absolutely, which is why um, trying to you know be reductive about these sorts of conversations and not have them at length, mm -hmm. in my opinion, um, just kind of plays into the entire attention industry that the internet and media in general have become. Like, you can't get much faster than we are at TikTok at this point, right? Where sure. like where sure. like at, your attention is so fragmented. Because you are presented media at such a an inane. We are we are conditioned to have short attention spans now. Yeah, or it was like not even not not necessarily we, but like the generation who are growing up in that during yeah. those formative years, we're kind of we're kind of over that threshold. Yeah, like our uh, our our brains have kind of been set in their ways at this point. Yep, it's like and so it's going to be a little bit. It's going to be a lot harder to move. We're not as impressionable as we used to be. Yep, um, but today's generation for sure. Yeah, is like today, today's youth generation. Yeah, is absolutely. Uh, I don't want to say fucked, but that's really what it looks like. It's hard. Like it is. That it is a tough line to draw. Yeah, but I, I don't mean to digress as hard as I did. I just mostly want to say that like, um, would I have quit? It depends on how badly it uh the you fucked up came in the form of right if the you fucked up and it came in the form of somebody just telling me i fucked up i didn't quit um if the you fucked up came in the form of somebody breaking my drum set i wouldn't be able to tell you because that time i didn't have the money to buy a new one and if i had never bought a new one i might not have reached um the show that i played that convinced me that this was for me forever mm -hmm. um did you see whiplash i did yeah the conversation that they're having in the jazz club where uh he wouldn't have quit yeah i can't think of the, the person they it's charlie parker charlie parker yes like he he fucked up in a song and the conductor threw a symbol at his head yeah and uh instead of like quitting and bailing out now that whole movie is kind of like a testament towards obsession yes and we are dealing with a little bit different level of passion at that point yes there there may even be a line between passion and obsession mm -hmm. but like the conversation that he was having is just like if he had just said instead of like throwing the symbol at his head, if he had just told the if he had just told the kid and it's like, Oh, good job. Yeah. It's like, you tried your best, next time here we go. It's like, Okay, well yeah, I did do a pretty good job. And it's like and, and all of a sudden you've then dissuaded that person from being better. Yeah. And I was like, they're kind of, it was like that. That was kind of like the talk that I had when I was saying earlier is like, I don't want to be in a situation where people are afraid to give me constructive criticism mm -hmm. or criticism in general. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't I'm not muting comments from yeah. people who are trying to like who are trying to like talk shit about my content or something mm -hmm. like that. Let it through. It was like, take it to heart. And like, you don't have to take it to heart because some people are dicks. But like if a lot of people are trying <laughs> to people are dicks, a lot of people are dicks. Yeah, it was like, but. There isn't always a lack of merit in somebody's statement just because it came off as a douche, just because they came off as a douchebag. And it was like some of some of what they had to say may be grounded in truth, but 
for the majority of it, like if the if the criticism is coming from, it's like I don't want my friends to lie to me to big me up or because they're afraid of dissuading me because I'm not the type of person who's going to be dissuaded. Sure. Like I want your criticisms. Yeah. Like I want your honest opinions of these things because I want my product to be the best that it can be and I want to learn from what I produce. Yeah. Like I want to learn from what if I, like every photo that every single photo that is on this wall I learned something. Which is incredible. From 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 the way that I was like shitting on myself about something that I saw in it. Mm -hmm. And shitting on myself might be an aggressive term, but like I can point out in every single one of these photos something that I learned about my craft that were going on. Because like these these photos were very early on. And there were certain aspects about shooting with low that about shooting in low light and capture and still capturing detail that were really tough. And that ended up resulting in this photo here being like super like I did not take this photo in low light. Yeah. Like it, I made it look like it was in low light afterwards, but everything was like super properly exposed. And then you can see the detail and absolutely everything in yeah. there. It was like, I learned shit about shooting directly into the sun on that photo of her on the car. Yep. Like they're like that I had learned before and I'm just like, okay, I tried something different on that one and this one happened to work out, but like there were still details about reflect. Like there's, like stuff to learn in every single creative outlet that you do, every song that you play, every practice session that you have, there's something new that you learn. I'm sure that you are, as a drummer, you are like me to where not every fill is exactly the same. It's like you will, you will improvise every I, now and then. I do not improvise on stage. Not on stage, but if you're practicing out, oh, if you're trying oh, to like yeah, work yeah, some yeah. shit out, like yeah. it's never going to be the same until you find one that like really resonates yep. with you. Until it's the right one. It's like, and every one that you did before that, you're like, I don't yep. know if I like that. Let's try this. The guys like, are until you get like a final product. Yeah, yep. of co uh, of course. Once for music, once you've gotten there. Yeah, I can't make that same comparison to photos because I can't do the exact same thing. Every yeah, yeah, time. yeah. Because you, it's not an but, iterative process. It's right. a single. Yeah. But yeah, like, but if I was in a situation where, if I wasn't critiquing myself mm -hmm. because I felt like I was in it because everybody around me had only ever told me that what I was doing was great. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is such a good job or amazing, which is my least favorite term these days. Sure. Uh, because I feel like it has fucking no meaning at this point because yeah. of how fluid people are willing to, or how fluidly people use it now. It's the adjectival form of literally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if I had, if that's all that I had ever heard, mm -hmm. where is my incentive to change things up? So let's start with, I agree. Uh, that's um, that's that's where I land, and so the, some of the time because I am kind of antisocial, mm -hmm. I do send my stuff out to people to see. Like I I sent you the the final product of that documentary ahead yep. of time. Be like, hey, check this out. Here you go. I will send out to like a test pool and get mm -hmm. some reactions, um, but none of their critiques are going to be harsher than than what I've got in my own brain. But to me, I feel like it serves a good purpose, mm -hmm. is because I am driving. To, to make it better, if not this time, the next time around. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't I don't know if that's necessarily unfair. I think that how fair you are to yourself um, depends on what you get out of the critique that you place and, and, and pressure that you place onto yourself. Right. Um, I think which in it, and of itself could be subjective. It can. Um, but I think that it can be uh, objectively considered as either positive or negative. Right. Sure. If it makes you work harder and it hurt, it harms no one else for you to be that self-critical, um, then 
as long as that's self-contained, right? Uh, I, I don't think there's any... In it. That very fair point. I like, think that... If you're, if you're shitting on yourself all the time and you're in turn taking it out on other people because you can't give yourself any positivity, then yeah, yeah. that can be a problem. Um, and I think that the context changes when you add... When, you, when it's no longer self-contained. Um, either because you are venting the stress that you're placing onto yourself onto others or when you start discussing criticism from others rather than a self-contained criticism. Um, so, for example, I think this kind of loops back around to what we were talking about earlier, where there are kind of two parts to uh, people not having candid conversations. Um, and I think this the, the, the thing that I would bring up from that conversation was the second one. I would say that there's a way that you can throw a symbol at somebody's head without placing them in physical harm or being rude. You can be direct. I can tell I have told a member of my band what you did out there at that show today was not up to par. You performed at a level far beneath the rest of us. It's unacceptable and you need to change it. In that like verbatim almost. Yeah, almost verbatim and in definitely in that tone. Okay. And I did it in a, in public, just as I, uh, you know, public. Uh, I did it. With you did the it band, with the band. With the band. If you'd um, done it on stage, that would have been a little fucked. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> you're right. Because that would be that would be. A communicator has a responsibility to at least consider. Um. How to communicate their message, in a way that will. Harm the person that they are talking to the least within reason. I think a big portion of it is that you have a responsibility to make sure that there isn't anything to distract that for that person from the message that you're trying to send. And if you are delivering it in a manner that's going to make them think about rather the way that you're telling them rather than what you're telling them is going to be incredibly ineffective. I, Oh my God. Yep. Almost word for word. Completely fucking agree with that. Um, I agree with it all. I just might've phrased it slightly separately myself. The thing that I would, well, I think I was just agreeing with yeah, you. And yeah. I um, I, I want to note that like, I wish people thought about that more about the responsibility of communication. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think that's also a part of like the culture shift that we've ran into mm-hmm. is like, I do feel like people walk around on eggshells to each other yeah. in general, um, especially around people that you don't know. It's like people want to avoid conflict, which is a good thing. Yeah. It was like in, in, in your general day to day life, you shouldn't be well willing to get your dukes up against a stranger all the fucking time. Yeah. It was like, you shouldn't be willing to get in people's faces a lot. Yeah. Um, but, uh, there's a, there's a time and a place. Yep. And what I would say is this, um, to relate it back to, uh, you don't want people to be afraid of, you know, giving you uh, constructive criticism. I just hope for, I, I, and I work to make, create a universe where, um, people can be honest with you, but also consider how they, they talk to you. Mm -hmm. I would not ever, if I had a criticism about a piece of your work, this is me overtly telling you, number one, I'm not afraid to tell you. And if you ask me, I would. That's good. Um, and I want, I, I wish for a world where it, I could say that about more than just myself, about where a world where candid conversations aren't this taboo because there isn't a pervasive hanging in the air of, fuck, I, don't, I need to not piss these people off. You know what I mean? Like, 
You, I, I mean, the the part that annoys me the most about it is like around that word amazing. Yeah. Like when you have, uh, like I would I would rather you just don't say anything. Like I would rather you just not comment. Yeah. It's like if you, like instead of saying something, just to kind of like, because you don't want to dissuade me. Yeah. Like, but but I know I there are people that yeah. I see who who do this. It's like they don't do it to me mm-hmm. because they know better. Like yeah. I don't want you to put fake comments on my shit just to like because you feel like you're bigging me up. Yeah. Or you don't want me to be dissuaded or fuck forbid that you are trying to put some positive comments on here because you're anticipating there's going to be some negative ones and you want to be oh. like you want to be like the light in yep. a dark place whether the bad comments coming in are actually valid or not. Yeah. Um there have there've been several situations where like I see somebody bigging up a piece of content that somebody has put out there that is objectively bad. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's objectively low quality. It's observable, but I know they can do better. Yep. Like that's the, that is the important part. And it's like, if it comes around to a photo that there's a specific technique that's used that their camera just can't do mm-hmm. and they tried emulating it anyway, mm-hmm. that's one thing. Yeah. It's like you're you're trying to dip into something like I don't have a specific example of something like that. But like if there is a particular technological or advancement that newer cameras have that this person's camera couldn't do. Yeah. Like that's 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 something in and of itself. Like they tried something that could not work. And like a certain level of applause for giving it a fucking go anyway is Maybe like, perhaps warranted. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, yeah, good on you. Like yeah. it didn't work out, but you yeah. tried. But if you're going out there and you've got, which uh, the particular person that I'm thinking of in my head is like, you've got some of the most expensive equipment out there. You've had several years of experience and you're still putting out like kind of a bland product that people have told you is bland before, but there's a couple people that are constantly telling you is how excellent this stuff is because they're close to you yeah and they don't want to hurt your feelings but they are i i would argue that you're doing more damage in that regard i would but i so i like that's why i think that it is so important that you do call somebody out when something is going wrong there if they ask for it if they don't ask for it and you're a stranger i'm not saying that you need to be jumping on somebody's page and talking shit but if you know somebody yeah like if you know this person if you are close to this person Sometimes it's warranted to be like, is that the best you could have done yeah. when they didn't ask for that criticism? Yeah. I will say that like the first couple of times that I asked for critiques on my photo work, I got, and I got some negative feedback. I probably didn't handle it the best. Yeah. Like I, pr- I probably didn't take it the best at first. It was like your initial reaction to it probably isn't going to be the best. I'm not saying that you have to take it like, like it's like, okay, yep. thank you. Yep. I appreciate your help. Yeah. Like, you might get a little angry, especially but, if it's a piece of art. Because we especially talked about. Piece, I mean, most relevantly, if it's a piece of art, yeah. because that's normally where that shit's going to come in at. Yeah, um, it's part of you. I'm not saying that you have to take it like all hunky dory, like there, like it didn't harm you or anything like that. It's like, yeah, you're probably going to have a reaction to it, but I also don't want people like, like I also don't want you to take that comment and ignore it. Even even when it's like a hundred percent valid, because yep. like two or three other people, or two hundred or three hundred other people have told you it was like, oh, this is amazing. So this is a thing right. that I um, actually kind of addressed with a close friend of mine, t- literally today at work. Uh, 
which, which is that um, just because a comment is negative does not mean it has mer- does not mean it has no merit. Right. Right. Like a yeah, negative which is, comment yeah, the exact point can have made. merit. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that in those moments, all you can do is look at two things. Um, one, you kind of have to step out of your own skin and say, "Are they right?" Which is the merit part of it, right? Yeah. Um, can I do better, right? And the second you have to look at is, were they fair, right? Yeah. Did they throw the symbol, or did they that just is, say, yeah. you know, like? And the first has mostly to do with your own uh, effort, and the second has to do with whether or not that person owned their own responsibility as a communicator. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that the internet has done a very good job of incentivizing and rewarding people who kind of meme about that responsibility and take advantage of anonymity and, you know, um, just kind of don't take anything seriously. Well, I think the internet has also done an incredible job of making the negative interactions the most prevalent. That's what I'm saying. Like, like it incentivizes the, like it. they, yeah, they have incentivized people talking shit to each other, especially on Facebook. Like oh, yeah. controversial posts perform way better. Yeah. It's like if you have a post with a hundred likes versus a post with a hundred angry, angry faces reacts. on it, yep. they're going to promote that angry reaction more. And the even, if, even if the like, like even if the one with the likes is like a story about puppies or like a funny baby or something like that, like it's just good wholesome content. Yep. Versus something, even something that has like fifty angry faces on it it's going to promote that because it's like, okay or even like because people are probably commenting on it too is like we have been taught to like push controversy Conflict. and so it is certainly a valid thing to say is like okay if this person isn't being fair i don't know how much in i, I don't know how much account i can give to yeah their their, their freight their words like admittedly though i will say that it can be both yeah. And the, the I'm speaking in generalities. 100%, yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. I'm not I'm not getting into like the true nuances mm-hmm. of what some people's critiques are going to be. But like this is a this is a point that I I don't get to I don't get Talk to, to voice out a yeah. whole hell of a lot because I don't know. People are people are sensitive. Yep. And uh, I like everybody else is like, I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings like that's not what I want to do. Yeah. But like if I feel like you can do better and you would feel rewarded by doing better, I want to help you get there yeah 100 percent. and i think that the only thing really that somebody being unfair does it you should still perform the merit analysis functionally is what i'm saying um the only yeah. thing you decide basically is whether that person is worth a person keeping around right yeah. um also I, I wouldn't worry about responding to every comment or oh, anything like that either not. like yeah no um <laughs> like no. you don't need to you don't need to engage with it you can do that merit check without Without, like, yeah, I can just read it. going back and forth yeah, with the person. Exactly. Um, which is just, you know, that's just a responsible <laughs> participation in discourse, too. Right. Uh, uh, we've circled this word responsibility a couple different times, and um, I think that one of the most harmful things to, that has changed in the past, I don't know, at least since I've been paying attention to society and I'm only 30. So, you know, maybe 15 years, give or take, um, is it seems to me like responsibility isn't a thing that is valued and that, and I mean with, in regards to almost anything, whether it's owning your own opinion, responsibly forming an opinion. Let's talk about that for two seconds. just as an example, but you can, perform this general thought process of how do I do X responsibly to pretty much anything, right? Mm-hmm. How do I form an opinion responsibly? 
I should not be able to have an opinion on a topic that is not purely subjective. For example, um, mustard is better than ketchup. Tastes better than ketchup. Um, that is a subjective thing. There is no fact about it. And I'm sure you people... start. I'm sure that if this ever gets like yeah. a wide viewership, you've started a culture. Yeah. Here, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to be castigated in the comments. You know? 100. <laughs> uh, but it, the the thing about it is like when you start talking about um, opinions involving fact. Uh, there is a responsibility towards having an intuition on a given thing, having opinion, having an expertise on a given thing. Um, and that responsibility comes around in the form of, do I know enough about uh, flying a plane to have an opinion on flying a plane, right? Like, uh, if the answer is no, then don't put me in the fucking pilot seat and I don't, I shouldn't be broadcasting opinions to the general public on Twitter about flying a plane. There's a way to fly a plane, right? There are scientific principles at play. There is an expertise to be involved. I can be taught that expertise. If I spend time, effort, energy, money, attention, practice mm -hmm. becoming that, then I become an expert. And my opinion as an expert should be valued over the opinion of somebody else because we're talking about something that can have expertise, not about the value of an opinion of what whether I like mustard or ketchup more. Well, I mean, that was a that was the logical way to look at it before the phrase alternative facts started becoming something that people were throwing out there a lot. Ooh, there we go, man. Uh, yeah, the, the, there's a responsibility. We're again, we're talking we're talking about that culture shift yet yep. again, like because yep. that was that was a point. Like, there is definitely a hard connection to somebody's opinion, thinking that it's fact because it's the way that they feel, it's the way that they grew up knowing it was like like this this was my this has been my experience. Ooh. How could it be any other way? Uh, I was like, this is how I was told to pilot a plane. It's like, how, why aren't you guys doing it that way? That you guys are doing it wrong. I was yeah. Like, well, no. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, I guess, there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's probably more than one way to fly a plane, but there are scientifically. Yeah, but that but, plane is in the air for one particular. Yeah, plane. yeah. Ninety nine percent of what I'll say is this: extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. That's a relatively Good commonplace call. adage, yeah. right? Like, there you go. if somebody. If somebody tells me how to pilot a plane and I'm an expert at piloting a plane and it runs counter to what 99% of pilots say, that's an extraordinary claim. Yep. The ex you need to be able to provide extraordinary evidence that tells me that dumping all the fuel out the back right now while the plane's 30,000 feet in the sky won't result in the plane becoming a fucking pile of rubble in a second, yeah. right? Like, um, which, is, which is an easy line to draw for something that is completely objective. Right. It's like when we're dealing with how do you make, how do you... Uh, relate that to like the art world um so Tough, an art a lot tougher in art yeah our given modality and general topic of this conversation is art where i'll say that um that's not a thing that i would really run too far into what i'll say is well this. it came up yeah in yeah. that conversation yeah so, yeah what i'll say is this um there's a lot more straight subjective opinions in art than there is in piloting a plane or um I hope <laughs> or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm getting on a plane for the first time in, in the end of May. And I really hope there is one um, right way to do it. There is. And this person knows what that right way is. There is. And, and that is a really important thing to remember about the general concept of, of, of expertise. And when society begins to devalue expertise because they value any random fucking tweet, 
as a as a valid opinion that is worth looking at yeah. compared to an expert's opinion. No, it's not. This is me like straight up drawing a line in the sand. So I imagine you feel pretty annoyed when people are uh, quoting tweets because it came from a person with a significant following, whether it was right or not. I my first question is always this, the right, right question. The call to the call to authority argument. Yes, my my, my like, question is on what grounds are they making that statement? Right, either what's the source they're citing if they're not the relevant expert, yeah. or what is their relevant expertise? The Earth is flat, and a celebrity with a million followers told yep. you so. Ex- like, exactly. Like, w- show me the show it's, me. The- it's not. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Yeah, everybody, everybody Looks like shambles. Our, I don't know when the camera died, but I'm going to keep the audio going. Oh, I'm going to change okay. that camera battery out real fast. Keep okay. talking, though. Yep, I'll keep talking. Um, you know, the the death of expertise is a true tragedy if it begins to become accepted, you know, and large at large scale by society. Uh, and I, I think if we're not careful, it, it can happen without us really worrying about it. And I think we'll see it happen. We have seen it happen um, in a lot of the ways that we've reacted to the pandemic. Right. Oh, 100%. Dude, the, I've, I've never seen a more divisive time in my lifetime. And the problem is it shouldn't have been that divisive. No. Because what you should have seen, what, 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 a, what, a, what a rational person should have seen is we're at 30,000 feet. Right. That's what's happening right now. And the pilot just died. Who do we want to replace him? Right. right. There are a bunch of people on the plane and one of them goes, well, I'm a pilot. And you go, actually, I'm going to go listen to this gal yeah. because I saw her on Twitter. I think I think a big part around the pandemic and the distrust that we had, that there's already a very widespread distrust In- of the media, a distrust of government. And the way that they tried to handle things on top of that, where things were going back and forth a lot, that was that was the main reason that it went so poorly. Yeah. Is because there was already a very strong distrust. And then uh, it's it's thankfully, thankfully, it is increasingly harder and harder to lie uh, in public these days. Oh, absolutely. Like especially about stuff that it, that where there is a lot of objectivity to it. Oh. Or, or to try and deceive uh, people uh, in the media, it's a lot harder because there is so much more competition to it. And there's proof. There's, like, everybody has a camera yeah. in their pocket, right? Like, yeah. You can't like, just lie about that's, facts. Which, a lot of times, has been a great thing. Yeah. Uh, like, especially when it comes to the police, having having people yeah. there who can actually capture all this stuff. It's like, I don't have to listen to just one source of information now. It's like, whereas, like, before, like, you, you have news stories talking about this is a tangent. We got to wrap this up here pretty soon. Yeah. We're, we're at two hours and 37 minutes. Okay. Now. Yeah. Um, I'm just, yeah. The, the, just save that conversation for another time. Okay. Like, there was, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there were a lot of problems around COVID in particular, but what I'll but say that is, was all part of like the same culture shift that we're talking about to uh-huh. where all this stuff is sort of connected to your identity. Your opinions are you. Yeah. And, and to, de- and to deny them is to commit an act of violence against you almost. And that I, I fucking hate that that's the way people are looking at these things. But, and I, what I'll say is this, um, it's interesting that you mentioned that things are much harder to lie about nowadays because I think that given much harder to lie about and get away with. Here we go, though. AI and deep fakes. Fuck, man. Single handedly so by itself is going to because I would I would completely agree until about six months ago. 
right? And now I think we need to address that so fast because how long is it? I actually don't want to say this on camera. How I, I'm not going to give you the specific example, but I'll talk about it off because I literally, okay. when, when I tell you, you're going to be like, oh, wow. Um, how long before somebody deep fakes um, a, a, an authority figure saying something they didn't and somebody else genuinely acts in a way that puts it, it's happened. It's it's happened. We'll talk about a specific. It's, it's example. not quite. It's not quite at scale. We might be talking about the same thing, but um, um, it's not quite at the scale that it could be happening. Yeah. But um, so but, I I just I I really think we should, and by we I mean society in general should get on top of that before it becomes a, a big enough problem that. Yeah. Did you hear about the embarrassing like petition that a bunch of these like billionaires were writing up to yes. where they wanted like a six month moratorium on? I was like six like at the scale that that stuff grows, six months isn't going to do jack shit. Yeah. I was like, you guys got to figure out a way to nip this in the bud now and like not yeah. pick it back up. Yeah. Like, um, AI, but, AI scares the fucking piss out of me. Yeah. And because we're at uh, at a length where you, you're you uh, discussing wrapping this up, I'll, I'll just. Well, I'm just. We're, yeah. I don't want to stop the conversation. Yeah. We're probably going to have to do a part two now. Hey, <laughs> because, no worries. Um, because we're in a situation now where it's like, hey, this, this is getting late. I don't, yeah. I don't even know how late I can hold on to you. Yeah. So and we've been like, hey, we've got like 14 things off camera that we need to talk about. Now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, uh, so I'll say. I'll, I'll loop it back to responsibility in general, right? Like there is a responsibility to nearly everything about life. There's a responsibility to communication. There's a responsibility to um, to to not assume everything that you see, read, hear is immediately in bad faith, right? Like immediately assuming that the worst interpretation yeah. of those words is what the communicator intends. There are responsibilities like this to having children, to uh, buying a house, if somebody, if you're not doing it for yourself, where like if you have a roommate who's going in on it with you, you have a responsibility to make sure that the financial decisions you're making that are going to affect that person. Please don't buy a house with a roommate. Right. Uh, the Well, if you're married, for example, and you go in on a joint. But the point that, is, I guess I shouldn't be worried. Nobody with a roommate's buying a house. Yeah, 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 yeah it's fair. <laughs> not, to, um, not today. <laughs> the, the point is that like that responsibility seems to be a thing that um, is is less and less valued. And and that is deeply harmful to the the longevity of society in my opinion because when you can't take anything seriously anything at all um then you think it's funny to elect this is where i am going to uh delve slightly into a, a topic that will make people upset um just to make the rest of my point um you elect to the highest position in one of the most powerful countries in the entire uh world and give a person who is like has a track record because he has been in the public eye in various forms of entertainment for years and years and years as like just a textbook narcissist and somebody who has through his own action shown that he's very selfish, very not what you want a person. You want a person who has like good judgment to be the president, right? You want a person mm -hmm. who, who, who can t make decisions, who trusts experts and hires and picks good people to positions so that if I need to make suddenly make a decision on global warming, Right. I don't need my president to be a, a global warming expert. I do need them to have a. a I do need them to know. I, who I need the them to know are. one and have have them hired and readily available. So, um, I think that I don't. I don't. I know. I know kind of where you're going. One of the main um, reasons that I think uh, that's, that, that got that's there. That's not. That's not something that I'm uh, going to jump into at this yeah. point, though, because I could go on for a long time yep. there. What I'll just say is, I think that was a 
if you boil a lot of it down, it was a combination of something you brought up earlier, which is a, a random, not a random, a, a an overall distrust of the government in general and a want to see something different combined with a lack of responsibility for what any logical person, if you think about it for a couple seconds and you put some somebody like that who has a track record of being a so not somebody I really want to be around or trust or care to see in a position of power. Sure. Me if you vote for that person, you have to think logically and own that vote and think about what that's going to do because that person's going to make decisions that affect real lives. And so if you're doing that as entertainment, because yeah. you're like, ah, oh, it'd be funny. Like, how, how, that, that's irresponsible and that's not okay. Thankfully, so. I feel like the majority of people who voted for him weren't doing it for the memes. I would um, I say that it's probably more than I say that it def I say that his candidacy certainly started off as a good 4chan joke but um but yeah I I to play the devil's advocate first of all I didn't vote for him yep so I'm not I'm not If you did I'm not coming I'm at I'm not you. trying to defend yeah. him either but I I think it would be wholly irresponsible to assume that people were irresponsible or that everybody involved in that were irresponsible in voting for him because he, like him or hate him, he is a great provocateur. Yeah, uh, I would agree with he's that. He's got he's got a lot of charisma, and he can and he can stir up a base. Yeah, I would and agree he has held that. on to a base regardless of everything that he's been accused of, proved to have done. Mm -hmm. Like, um, but uh, there are people out there who, um, I I mean. There are people out there who legitimately thought that he was going to be doing well based on their own uh, interpretation, based on their own interpretations. And in that regard, they were not being irresponsible I'll, because because they were operating inside the venue of their own experience. Yes. And were probably never told that something that they were doing was fucked up mm -hmm. or something they were doing was wrong. And that's candid and conversations. That's, and, back that's to that. and that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. It was like, we're afraid to tell people that they're wrong about certain things when it's inside of our own circle. Yeah. Now, if you're looking at the internet all the fucking time, you don't believe me for a second on that because you see it like you, you hop onto a YouTube channel and people are shitting on people all the time, especially in the political world. You don't think that any of that stuff ever exists, but you got to remember, but people have to remember is like, if you're looking at somebody who's arguing with people on TikTok in their, in That's their live conversations about all of this stuff, like say it it's not real it's not real it's, life it's not real well, it's a funhouse mirror well, it's like this weird fucking 30 degree skew it is real to the people involved in that but they don't represent the majority of even their side of the argument yeah like again like to to assume that everybody who's arguing for flat earth are all just morons who uh are poorly educated are coming from uh like troubled backgrounds or something like that to where they they weren't able to get the proper information that would be irresponsible it was like because i don't understand what their circumstances around their lives are to where they were vulnerable enough or impressionable enough to believe in something like that sure it's like so and, and it and goes it goes into the, it goes into the same thing it's like they still don't like the people who are perpetuating those beliefs the people who are hopping on youtube just just because it went viral doesn't mean that everybody believes in it yeah does not does not give any merit to the ideas of any kind, so like it's hard for me like and I mean we're going off on yeah. we're going off on tangents but I 
I think personal responsibility is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm going to agree with you there. We'll just start. We'll just start wrapping this up. I yeah. think. I think your points about personal responsibility are are on point. Um, I I do feel like there is a lot of nuance that can exist based on that person's personal response or personal uh, like beliefs. Light. Yeah. Well, yeah. not only their beliefs but their own experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you could go to somebody like you could find somebody else in just like a different neighborhood up here in Omaha and like see them coming to like a completely different conclusion because of because of a completely different set of circumstances. Yeah. And so like I'm, I'm sad that we got to this point here at this time frame of the podcast because like I would love to dive deeper into something like this because yeah. I feel like we were just about to start disagreeing with each other on some stuff I'll say this like, so like that would have been the juicy part but to I, clarify, I, I will I do got to bring you back in here to get yep. deeper into that stuff yep. um, I'll clarify and leave it as like my final comments which are mostly that I don't think that every person who voted for importantly I think that probably a smaller percentage of people who voted for him at the beginning um, were the ir- were the irresponsible ones, and then a larger percentage was in the it was in a camp something along the lines of, um, I, the worst that could happen is that he's a bit of a meme, um, and I think that the best that could happen is that like he genuinely shakes up uh what we consider to be like a a super corrupt and government that we don't really trust, right? <laughs> I didn't see I didn't see any evidence that he was going to do that. But um, yeah, but yeah, what was- I'll say is like after six months. If you still supported him after seeing uh, six months might be a little too short. Let's say two years, right? You've given him your chance at that point after you've seen the results. Then I, I think you're starting to be intellectually dishonest. Well, it's a pretty good benchmark, actually, because two years you're generally running into the midterms of a presidency yep. and he lost in those midterms pretty aggressively. Yeah, and I, I, so I think you're seeing like that for the most part, people were like, hey, this isn't working out. Yeah. And so well, the people that he endorsed and then the people that he endorsed in the most recent midterms performed horribly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, people still voted for him this election cycle, though, which is te- that's yeah. that's terrifying. Yeah. But um, yeah, we need we'll to see. We'll see, how that go- we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, but I, I do want to bring you back in here. Yeah. Because I feel like we did get like, away from music and we got away. We got on a lot of tangents, actually, <laughs> which I was glad for. Like, I'll say. I think I think it kind of came from the fact that we felt like okay, this is all the time that we have. Yeah, uh, we got. I got to get all this stuff in here all at yeah. once. But no, I'm going to bring you back in again at some point. Cool. Um, where can people find you? And is there something that you want to like say to everybody in the in the, the relevant time frame? Oh, absolutely. I know you got a show coming up. Um, yes, I'm going to try and get. I'm going to try and get this out. Full disclosure: if this, if you're watching this and it's after this date, I apologize, but. Um, uh, the the general message I would like to leave everybody with, um, if you're a musician, uh, decide whether you want this to be a hobby or a profession, and then take yourself seriously in that answer. Um, Good call. I'm more than happy to support you in either of them, but don't feign one and be the other, or you're just going to be upset. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't want to see any anybody upset. And it's okay to just do it for a hobby. Music's super fun. Um, to the average listener, I'm not fucking crazy, and I'm not five foot one. No matter how many people on social media want you to believe it. God damn it, um, dude! You didn't even have to bring it up. Yeah, Nobody would have thought. And now that. here we are. Uh, it's like we are. Our chairs are almost at the same height. I'm six one. Yeah, I'm like I'm I'm five nine, guys. Anyway, uh, so five, the, the the to the average viewer, I'll say. Um, 
you know, thanks for listening. And uh, I mean, I look like a, a rom-com extra. So like listening to me is just, a, 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 I just can't thank you enough. And I will say that, you know, owning, owning your choices, being a responsible member of society in general, and I guess a responsible communicator will do so much for you. And um, I think it'll help make society better. And for, as far as finding me, uh, Instagram.com slash John Feist. Uh, my band is Chasing Chance. Uh, Chance is spelled C-H-A-N-C-E, which I didn't think was the thing I needed to do until somebody went, oh, you mean like a chant? Like chasing chanting. Oh, okay. Like chasing right. chant. So I, was, I was really confused. I was yeah. like, what would they be messing it up with? Yeah. But. It's only interesting. <laughs> Again, two words. It's just we we had that talk beforehand. We were like, we can't make a, a name that could be misunderstood. And so we like all sat down and we're like, is chasing chance actually good? And we all five were like, yes, it can't possibly be confused in anything. And then like two years later that came up. Anyway, uh, see had a good run. <laughs> yeah. We we tried. But uh yeah, you can find us you can find our pop punk there. Check us out. And uh, we have a show on April 29th at the waiting room. It's sold out, but if you hit me up and anybody bails and doesn't want a refund, um, then that's a free ticket. And if they bail and do want a refund, then that's a ticket you can pay for, and they're only ten bucks. I'd let, I'd glad to see you there. There you go. It's a great show. Yeah. Uh, they 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 put on a show. They don't just go up there and play. They put on a show. Yeah. So um, again, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate you. your time. Yes. Yeah, also, uh, DB John, is that still your Twitch? Oh yeah, Twitch.tv slash D the letter B the letter John J O H N. I I really enjoyed watching you play Subnautica. Oh, it was fun, man. Shit in your pants. Uh, I I was shitting, dude. That that actually, what? It's like one of your best (laughs) clips. One of those clips is actually, I think the 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 most scared I've ever been playing a game. It looked like it. Yeah, I I, I've never lost my headphones. I've never been so scared. I took my own headphones off. I'm gonna try and put that at the end of this. That's a really good one. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thanks for having me on, man. Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, thanks everybody.